1: Thing you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com/slash/TheBillPressShow.
2: And welcome to the Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick. I'm the deputy editor at Roll Call. I'm subbing in for Bill Press and. Given the turn of events yesterday, which Peter will get to in a few seconds at the full court press, I can't imagine that Bill would would really have chosen to miss today to break down yesterday's news. Uh, but we'll get to that. We'll have plenty. We have plenty of great guests. Uh, I have some being joined by some roll call colleagues. We're going to break down the Supreme Court political situation. We're going to talk about the primaries that have happened in August, and we're also going to look especially at some Southern politics that don't include just SEC football. But first, Peter. This is the Full Court Press. You
1: got it. Just a couple of other stories making news before we get into quite the news day we had yesterday. Let's talk, first of all, about animal crackers.
2: Of course. They're Literally. delicious. They are delicious. I, I have one from like 30 years ago. Still in my closet. Really? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Whatever that,
1: could very well, that could very well be a collector's item because Nabisco announced yesterday that they are going to be changing the box for animal crackers. In the past, you see the animal crackers box... And they have all the uh, uh, like the elephant and the tiger and all the animals behind bars as if they were at a
2: circus circus oh, or well, zoo.
1: PETA said, hey,
2: or an ice uh, deportation center.
1: Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's dark. <but> yes. <laughs> well, they they PETA said, hey, that's fine. If you want to have animal crackers, take the bars away. Free the animals. Don't have them behind bars. Nabisco yesterday announced, you know what? Fine, we will do that. We actually will do that. They're going to take the bars, which I'm okay with, by the way. Right. There are some people out there sort of getting fake annoyed about it uh, <laughs> online. But it's been 116 years since Animal Crackers uh, were debuted by Nabisco, and yesterday they said the packaging will completely change. It will not depict exotic creatures in cage anymore. Instead, a zebra, an elephant, a giraffe, a lion, and a gorilla are out roaming among grass and trees on the cover of the... Uh,
2: What about the unicorns?
1: No unicorns yet. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There are no
2: unicorns yet in Animal Crackers.
1: Uh, California is mulling a bill. It actually passed. It's waiting to see. Are they
2: mulling or are they eyeing?
1: It's it's now in full mull mode. Because uh, they passed this bill that is on Jerry Brown's desk. And if he signs it, restaurants would only be able to offer water or milk to children. So if you go in with your kids... And they want something to drink. They could only drink water and milk. In other words, this is a way to get kids to stop drinking soda. All right. Now, my kids, bourbon neat. That's that's all they drink when they go out to dinner. Okay. So like the water and milk isn't gonna fly <laughs> in my house. But you know, look, kids have an addiction to soda. My my kids have never had soda. Partly because I I didn't let them have any. But then they just now they just hate the, the right. taste of it. Uh, but water and milk only so my
2: yeah my, my stepson Oliver I mean he is not uh, a milk fan uh, mm, so, sure. so he'll he'll drink water uh, but he actually doesn't like any kind of carbonated beverage same. Uh, so, That's same. That's but he same. likes apple juice and lemonade is that I mean is that no sir can't have that well there we go yeah you can only
1: have milk or water and by the way uh, one other story we're gonna talk into this a little uh, uh talk about this more as we get rolling Duncan Hunter jr Duncan Hunter jr Well, he got in a little bit of trouble yesterday. It's all happened in like a matter of an hour and a half yesterday afternoon. But Duncan Hunter and his wife, by the way, Margaret, were indicted by federal prosecutors on five different charges, including wire fraud, prohibited use of campaign contribution, and conspiracy. If you don't know who Duncan Hunter Jr. is, he is the congressman who famously vaped
2: at a hearing. At yes, a hearing, a, yes. Above it. And also, I mean, the we, we, can, we can talk about this a little bit with Bridget, uh, who can break down the political situation. But some of those campaign funds, this wasn't just like a misuse of like, I used the wrong credit card. He was taking trips to Italy, the, yeah. the prosecutors allege, and taking his kids to the dentist and using campaign funds.
1: No, it wasn't just like a sloppy misuse of funds. Right. It was blatant. It was bad. And some of the things he did and the way he used the military for his own personal gain.
2: Being a veteran himself, Being also v- yeah, yeah, not yeah, good. yeah, yeah, not yeah. This is the Bill Press Show so uh yeah august is typically supposed to be a fairly slow month uh congress is theoretically away uh the president goes to you know vacation and so forth we have not been having one of those augusts uh yesterday afternoon after a you know a, a reasonably interesting day uh on uh, in, in in washington and in politics About 4, 4.30. uh, I think uh, you you said you were uh, um, spinning or something yesterday. (laughs) Here's the thing. Here's the
1: thing. thing. I have a routine every Tuesday. I go to my spin class, and then I go to yoga afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the whole thing is about- This is
2: healthy, mindful living, and I'm all for it.
1: When you look at me, you think health.
2: Healthy, mindful, Healthy, mindful,
1: very strong, (laughs) very strong, uh, healthy man. but I, I, I go to do my spin, and I go to do my yoga. It's about a two-hour thing. It's an hour class for each of them. And so I go in, I do, I turn my phone off, go through that. And then I turn my phone on after I'm done with yoga. I'm all relaxed. I'm all stretched out. I feel very
2: good. And your phone had a nervous breakdown. And my
1: phone started to combust in my hand. <laughs> just, brrr, all the notifications that were starting to come back.
2: So let's break down some of that, oh, uh, I, and, and I, I this is, this is the thing because not only were there two uh, big court things we'll get to in a second, but also the Nationals traded away Daniel Murphy that and too. Matt Adams. So so as I'm editing stories, uh, I'm also all my friends are texting me about like you know Murphy to the Cubs, what happened? You know and. and it's like okay, we'll we'll put that aside for a second. <laughs> so the the first news that I got, uh, we're we're in a an editorial meeting, all hands editorial meeting. You know the type of meetings that you have in in the recess. You know in in the middle of August, uh, so you can kind of clear the decks of of outstanding business and so forth. And I see you know one of my colleagues go up to my boss, my editor in chief Ed Timms, with his phone and just put it in his face and. Ed Timms, my editor, just kind of jolted like somebody had like hit him with a cattle prod right in the middle of the small of his <laughs> back. You know, and he you know, he, he signaled to uh, my, my colleague Jillian Roberts, uh, another deputy editor and to me. And we sort of like bolted out of there, <laughs> out of this all hands meeting, went down because we saw that Paul Manafort, uh, the former campaign manager for the Trump campaign uh, and a longtime fixer. And uh, in, lobbyists in, uh, lobbyist of, in in Washington had been convicted on eight of eighteen federal charges related to bank fraud and tax evasion in in Virginia, uh, so that's a big deal. Uh, people have been wondering if Manafort is going to cooperate with the government and whether he'll uh, he'll flip and and give the, the give the feds give Robert Mueller and his team any kind of dirt on the president. And it, we're, we're so we're. Editing this up, I'm I'm trying to ignore my phone. I'm looking for news on Manafort uh, and and trying to dodge all the different texts from from my wife Fawn and our friend Noah. Like Adams two to the cards, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, as we're digesting, you know, the, the, such the, a distracting the, afternoon. Yeah, it's the dismantling oh of, of our baseball team. Oh. Uh, <laughs> And then the Michael Cohen thing hits. It's like, oh my! And and granted, we knew that Cohen was heading to court that day, so that shouldn't that wasn't a total surprise, and we were ready, you know, with a uh, you know a, a little bit of uh, canned language that we could put up on the website and send out an alert. Um, but the extent to which uh, Michael Cohen. Implicated the president as an as a co-conspirator uh, in in a in in fraud in in bank fraud and again tax evasion fraud and so forth and related to campaign finance was and then the comments from the district attorney uh, were were kind of they were bigger than than I had been thought I thought was going to happen. I want to play a little
1: bit of audio because yeah. first of all this is this was the first uh, uh, clip from the U.S. Attorney uh, Robert Kazami where he talks about the guilty plea. This is, yeah, yeah. this is up in New York. Yeah, this is up in New York.
0: Michael Cohen
2: pled guilty to eight felony charges five of those dealt with tax evasion for the years 2012 through 2016 in which he failed to report approximately 4.1 million dollars in reported income so
1: he's going to be working and and telling his side of the story lanny davis Washington D.C.'s own Better Call Saul (laughs) was on Rachel Maddow last night and here he talks about what Michael Cohen is willing and ready to talk about.
3: Mr. Cohen has knowledge on certain subjects that should be of interest to the special counsel and is more than happy to tell the special counsel all that he knows not just about the obvious uh, possibility of a conspiracy to collude and corrupt the American democracy system in the 2016 election, which the Trump Tower meeting was all about, but also knowledge about the computer crime of hacking and whether or not uh, Mr. Trump knew ahead of time about that crime and even cheered it on
2: the computer crime of yes, yes, <laughs> it's like, yes it's like an it's like a thriller from 1988 You're like there are these computer crimes you see well,
1: what he <laughs> did when he said electronic mail you might know it as an email
2: <laughs> uh i mean it, aside from the um uh sort of almost dated it's like listening to a period piece uh, l- l- listening to lanny davis uh this guy uh, does know what he's doing in managing crises uh dating back to well even before bill clinton but certainly yeah. Um, you know, this just keeps keeps coming back up. The Clintons keep coming back I, up. I'm you know, amazed. In, in
1: I'm amazed and just tickled that Lanny Davis is part of this story.
2: <laughs> yeah, of course he is. Of course, he is. Just, right? just, of course just, he is. just like Monica Lewinsky is part of Brett Kavanaugh's story. Right. I mean, like it, it's of course.
1: You know, it's of not. course. It all comes back to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Always.
2: So so we go on with you know again. I think I think I finally you know d- digested Manafort's convictions and also he faces more more. Legal action in uh, um, in Washington, you know, on on kind of the more the some of the bigger charges on conspiracy to defraud the government and so forth. That that trial will take place later, but there was a mistrial on ten counts. Uh, you know, after and after this sort of raucous, uh, you know, courtroom duel with you know Judge T. S. Ellis, you know, being kind of like hard on both sides. You know, he sort of said like this is, you know, you both it was a hard fun, you know, hard fought, you know, case and blah blah, blah and but eight convictions Manafort. Eight pleas with Cohen, and then the Duncan Hunter <laughs> news landed, oh, and it, and you know and the, and the thing that it was it was weird because you know finally you know this, this editorial all hands meeting like filtered out and people were starting to trickle back into the newsroom, and then everybody saw the same tweet from Robert Costa I think and it said news coming it was this cryptic <laughs> cryptic tweet and and we were like we were almost like oh. Please, no. You know, I mean, and like, it hung I really, out there for
1: a while. It, yeah, it, it was. You, if yeah. you send the, if you send a standby for news tweet, right. you've got to put, like, a five-minute shelf life on that. But right. it hung out there for a while, apparently. Right. And,
2: and, and who knows what they were doing, digesting, you know, the Fed's statement from sure. the Justice Department. I mean, some of it was just, I mean, when we were reading the Justice Department's release on the Hunter thing and seeing what they're alleging that he spent money on, you know, from, uh, you know, just, I mean, buying shorts at Dick's Sporting Goods and 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 saying it was an expense for Wounded Warriors. I mean, like, like the inter interaction between his wife Margaret and him, like about like how to how to justify this to the campaign treasurer. Like it was just jaw dropping. It, 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 it really was, you know. And, and and it's also the the thing that is amazing too is it in, in its it's stunning in its. Pettiness. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, because we're talking like a, you know a, a hundred bucks here or a couple of yeah, hundred bucks. Was there was one thing
1: like when when she went to Target, they spent like two hundred something bucks on all different kinds of things for their kids, including. Two Punky Brewster items. Right. They're very <laughs> clear to specify. Were two. Punky that's the Brew- other.
2: That's the other missing element. It's Lewinsky, Lanny Davis, and Punky, <laughs> and Punky Brewster. Brewster. And the old keeps always, coming back to them. Always, um, always, always. And and you know, th- th- again, I'm I'm not trying to make light of anyone's financial situation. One of the things that one of my colleagues, Paul Fontello, uh, put out uh, noticed and and we put into the story uh, was that you know we keep track of people's financial disclosures and we put it into an index, the Roll Call Wealth of In- uh, Congress Index, and it. Duncan Hunter has not um uh, declared any assets for 5 years. You know, which is I mean kind of stunning. It it goes very much against the image of, of members of Congress as, you know, a, bu- a bunch of rich, you know, white guys. Um I mean some some of these people are fabulously wealthy, uh but there are people like Duncan Hunter who have no assets. He doesn't even list his bank account because it probably doesn't have that much money in it. So uh, but still, this is this is money that people you're raising from from people with the understanding that you're going to use these funds to run for office and you're going to represent their interests. And he the feds are alleging that he betrayed that trust, which is I mean, it's, In a really big way. Right. And 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 granted, I mean, th- this is not the blockbuster of, of Cohen and, and Manafort. This isn't, you know, the the Russian intelligence services hacking into American democracy or paying off. Uh, you know people that you've slept with in the you know to the tune of of you know hundreds of thousands of dollars and so forth but it's still a perversion of democracy and it's 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 one of those things like wow um, this is kind of a this is kind of a big deal I also want to note too that so the the two congressmen who who uh, endorsed Donald Trump first it was Chris Collins of New York a Republican from New York in the Buffalo area and Duncan Hunter uh, both this month indicted on charges of fraud. That, honestly, that's amazing. It's amazing.
1: And to look at just the hour and a half of news yesterday, right? I think this is a good opportunity. And we're going to talk about this more. I know we talked about like, you know, what the Trump administration is going to try and do with the time that it seems to have left. But if you're a Republican on any level at this point and your president the Republican president of the United States of America had all this news happen. Bad, bad news happened yesterday. Now, what do you do? How do you? What do you do today?
2: Do you you go. Out? You go to a rally, a political rally in Charleston, <laughs> and you stump for a, an, an amazingly uh, sort of underperforming for a heavily Republican state candidate trying to take out Joe Manchin, an yeah. incumbent Democratic senator. That's there.
1: what you do. And you know the other thing about West Virginia—they got a big governor.
2: Let's, let's, you know, I think we have some audio on that. We do
1: indeed. (laughs) He's a big man. He's all man. Six foot 11. I won't talk about the weight. I don't, I don't know what the weight is. I won't go there, but he is a big man and he's a great man.
2: So (laughs) Peter, you're, uh, I think you're taller than I am. Uh,
3: Uh, You're you're probably like an inch
2: taller. You're you're about six, four. I'm about six, three. Yeah. Um, I weigh in the two hundred and fifty range. You're probably around the same. Yeah. Uh yeah. You know, and and even even with the yoga and the biking, you know, true, cycling and so right? <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're the, these are things. Um, uh, if if you if you call us fat, do we not bleed? <laughs> <laughs> the president of the United States, who is not a svelte man himself, just called the governor of West Virginia fat. Yeah.
1: He just called him fat.
2: He called him fat. Uh, he's a big
1: man. Uh, he's the big, big man. I'm
2: not going to talk about the weight. <laughs> well, you just did. <laughs> When you say you're not gonna talk about the weight, I'm know, not gonna talk yeah. about his
1: big fat ass everybody. Right. That's what he's
2: saying. And and granted, Jim Justice is a I mean, large man. If you were watching the rally, I mean he I mean Trump is a big person. You know, I mean he's he's over six foot tall. Um, you know, he he usually is the person who's towering over, over people. Uh but Jim Justice could probably still like get a position like as a reserve for the Wizards at this point. I mean, totally. I mean he, he's wow. he is a he is a gigantic man, you know, just just is plopping. he really
1: 611?
2: Uh, that That's that,
1: a that's a big guy. It, it, he is a large We're not going to talk about the weight. We're not, not going to talk about guy, the weight. But he's a big he's guy. A big guy.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, th- so this rally, I mean, the, the I I thought, you know, okay, is he just going to say like I'm pardoning Manafort like right up there on the stage because again, the the purpose of this rally is Patrick Morrissey, who's the, the state attorney general uh, in in West Virginia. Um, he's, uh, you know, two terms, He won a pretty tough primary against Evan Jenkins and Don Don Blankenship, uh, to take on Manchin. The president won, won West Virginia by like 60 points or something like that. So Manchin is obviously a big target for the Republicans. Uh, they brought, you know, Trump named them all, you know, like members of Congress, including Cory Gardner, who's the, you know, Colorado Senator and he's from the, uh, uh, he's from Colorado, and he's also the chairman of the Republicans' campaign arm. He was there too, called out. I'm sure he was delighted. Great at that. day that, to get a yeah. shout
1: out like that.
2: Um, so they're all there to 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 stump for Patrick Morrissey. Um, and but before and and everybody I think was a little on edge. Like, is he going to talk about like what happened today? He didn't. To his credit, you know, to I mean, he it it he kept it sort of kind of on Morrissey, uh, who when when Mor- when he when he spoke it. You know he uh, he wisely did not uh, try to monopolize the time he let Trump have 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 the mic back um, but uh, but he did say a couple of things on the way in at the at the uh, at the, on the tarmac I think it's a Chuck Yeager Airport and outside of Charleston and th- and what he said there was kind of fascinating
0: I feel very
1: badly for Paul Manafort again he worked for Bob Dole he worked for Ronald Reagan he worked for many many people and uh, the way it
2: ends up. <laughs> other, he, other people's problem. He, he worked for all these other people who didn't vet him appropriately, apparently. He, he feels badly for him. Yeah. Um, this is a
1: very sad story about a former Bob Dole staffer. <laughs> I feel very badly. Not,
2: not my campaign chairman.
1: Nothing to do with me. Right.
2: Not the guy who was, like, uh, hu- hustling up uh, delegates on the floor uh, he- heading off the Kasich people in Cleveland to, to prevent a headache at the Republican National Convention.
1: Not that guy. We're talking about the Dole
2: Staffer. <laughs> right? The Dole Bob Staffer. Dole Staffer. Uh, f- fortunately, uh, you know, one of the photos that we have, you know, Manafort hasn't had a ton of uh, public appearances uh, in in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, he's he's been in uh, what is it? Federal custody, house arrest. Yes, <laughs> federal custody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, but you know, we do have some photos of him uh, on on uh, roll call of uh, him at the convention, including one of Donald Trump going like this. With Manafort right next to him, <laughs> um, so that there there was just there was more than just a passing uh, you know sort of relationship you know one of those like kind of cocktail party uh, you know hey hey Paul nice to see you kind of thing uh, this is the campaign chairman yeah um, so I'm surprised also he didn't rec- he didn't uh, recognize some of Manafort's other uh, you know employers like you know Viktor Yanukovych yeah of Ukraine yeah, yeah he worked for Bob
1: Dole he right. worked for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> You work for the Russians,
2: <laughs> but no collusion. No collusion. It has nothing to do with collusion. So it it's been interesting, you know. Also, like we are, we are deep, you know. We're we're getting into midterms for realsies, right? You know, I mean, like the, this people are paying attention in a way, but they usually don't pay attention until a little closer to the election. Um, you know, it seems like the Democrats are a little more fired up. Their numbers are up, in, in particularly compared to how Republicans are, are voting. Uh, we've got a bunch of primaries and it's got to be odd for even the most true believer supporter of Trump to be sort of like wrapping yourself in the mantle of this when there's I mean, because at, at a certain point, it's it's there's only so many sort of deep state conspiracies you can you can pull out before it starts to like, oh, this is getting kind of serious. Right. I mean,
1: uh, yeah, yes, is the answer. I mean, you know, you talk about how we're getting. Pretty close to the midterms. It is sort of interesting to note that nowadays, more than ever, right, like, politics moves really, really quickly. Right. You know, like, the the thing that really drove that home for me was the the James Comey letter with Hillary Clinton, right? Right. Normally, you would need several months for that to sort of, like, brew and get around, make the rounds. But, like, gestate. Or gestate like a turkey. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get in to a to that. Uh, but it's it moves so quickly. I mean, it right. just it really does move quickly. And to your point, yes, I think a lot of Democrats are locked in and paying attention to every single thing that happens now. Republicans either have their head in the sand or don't want to talk about it. And then people, you know, independents—they're probably just sick and tired of this, and they'll figure it out like in a couple of weeks. <laughs>
2: Well, and, and I guess th- this is the thing when, you know, Trump has made politics very much about the Trump brand. Right. I mean, like that. That's the genius of of his sort of political success is that he has made it about less about party, less about policy um, and more about like him. And that that carries like some some huge like dividends for people who are like they recognize the name Trump, like he's this like symbol. He's been the symbol of success and riches. For decades, but it also creates strange moments, like we had in Charleston when we talked to when we started talking poultry.
1: Yeah, okay. I just want to set this up really quickly because I, sh- I shortened the clip a little bit. He is talking about the trade deals, and everyone's coming to him and saying, "You got to fix it. You got to fix it." He says it doesn't happen super quickly, and then this is how he <laughs> explains it. And when we get those trade deals done properly, and you know what bothers me, I have people coming to me, some people in Congress, sure you get this deal done immediately I said it doesn't work that way i don't want to go too fast the deal's not going to be any good if we do that we got to take time it's got to gestate right the word gestate. it's like when you're cooking a chicken <laughs> time time turkey for thanksgiving my mother would say oh eight hours t-. i said eight hours
2: she made the greatest turkey i've ever had I I can't totally
1: normal president. Yeah, I I can't totally normal brain. I I
2: I mean I don't I I almost wanted like thirty seconds of silence (laughs) on the air. I know you can't do that, but it's it's kind of like you know it it's like a it's like an Ingmar Bergman movie. I mean it's just like there's just the face like right there on the screen staring at you with no. I mean it's it's like there's nothing there's no filter in between the two of you, uh in and that just dating turkey and chicken. I mean I, I. I'm stunned. And also like I love I love it when he kind of lapses into the the the, the Queens, you know, like you know like you know it, it it's just kind of amazing when he when he imitates like uh you know voices from from his past like his mother. Tooky. Um, Tooky. It almost like it is almost said, oh, I can I say this? It almost sounded like he was saying took us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Took us. <laughs> took us. Uh tookie. I mean <laughs>
1: what on earth turkey (laughs) it's the the greatest thing again just to put it into context of what kind of day he had turkey and he's out there talking about his mother's cooking turkey that she made for eight hours on thanksgiving i said eight hours yeah, that's how you cook a turkey. Have you ever cooked a turkey before? It takes a long time. It's a big bird. <laughs> turkey.
2: <laughs> Although I would I would pay money to be at the White House if they pulled out the uh the, the turkey fryer on, <laughs> on on the South Portico. Oh you know? no doubt. Like you can invite Kid Rock over yeah. and like and uh you know Hank Williams Jr. Yes. You know and, and yeah. You know, I, I I think I saw a Thanksgiving special with Kid Rock and and Hank Jr. Like, frying the, turkey? Frying turkey on, on Thanksgiving. I'm not surprised by yeah. that. Yeah, and nothing burned down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the fun part of frying I, a that's turkey. That's the, yeah. I mean, you have to get the fire extinguisher
2: out. So, I mean, not to get too esoteric here, but like August, th- this has been a different August. Like, I mean, mo- mo- as a not even as a like kids you know before the internet but like the last few years like augusts were like you know what you know th- that's for going to the
0: beach and we, stuff we, right we, I mean, we've
1: talked about this so many times on the show
2: like bill and i we've been
1: doing the show for 13 years now uh augusts suck they used to suck <laughs> for what we do there's just nothing to talk about right. everything slows down nobody's here government work essentially shuts down it's like no other, France. This is like, our yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, no other president <laughs> felt like they had to occupy your headspace 24/7. They go away and they take a proper vacation. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's Not like, anymore.
2: It's like the no no sleeping thing. I mean, he brags about he doesn't need that much sleep and, you know, he I mean, like it it's becoming obvious. Yeah. You know, they they and and, and I guess this is the thing that I wonder about with the midterms is that the midterms are always about the incumbent party. They're about the the, the party in power and particularly about the president. Uh, he does have a very loyal, fervent base. I mean, it seems like about 40 percent of the electorate is like it doesn't matter what happens. They're with him no matter what, which is why he can talk about Tookie uh, in, in West <laughs> Virginia at, at the Charleston Civic Center. Um, I mean, because, you know, he, he really does feel at home. Like there. Ob- it's obvious. I mean, he's been there six times or something like that. That's what the, they were saying at the rally yesterday. And he's going back, you know, like an, again. It's like it's a, it's one of those states he doesn't need to visit that right, often. You right. Know, I mean, he's
1: not the president of the United States. He's the president of an approving crowd right. wherever he goes. That's the only people he really cares about.
2: But I wonder, you know, when you, when you factor in some disaffected Republicans, independents, Democrats, are people just tired? I mean, yes, the, a lot of people are angry and there's a lot of activism, you know, and a lot of energy, particularly on the left. Uh, obviously, the we're going to talk about the Supreme Court and that how how that fires up the, you know, like anti-abortion groups and so forth. But I wonder if some people are just going to vote because they're just tired of this. They, they're, yeah. they're just like, I mean, just kind of like, like with, with a reality TV show. Yeah. You just want to turn it off after a while because it's just like, it's like, you know, the when they were yelling at each other for, you know, it was kind of funny. And now it's just going to give you a little bit of a headache. Yeah. Um, it it it's a, it's a fascinating kind of like I, that dynamic is going to be because we haven't seen anything like this before. So
1: like I I always use my parents, which are very small sample size. But I use my two, parents too, right? Two, two. Okay. Yeah, I use my parents because they are both Trump voters. They're lifelong Republicans. They, I mean, like. It never deviated never like had a weird anomaly where they're like well this democrat appeals to me like always party line and i was just down there over the weekend and i was at i was you
2: know this is charleston this yeah. is in charleston
1: yeah. south carolina and this is where i you know start mouthing off about politics you know you me believe it or not and both of them were just kind of like you know what we're just we are tired of it.
2: <laughs> we want our life back.
1: <laughs> we're t- yeah, we're we're just tired of it. And they don't, you know, they don't. They're not online or anything like that. They right. just watch the news. Um, they're f- somewhat active in politics at this point. They're older, but like, they just they're they're, they're tired of it. It's exhausting. Right. And also, you have to be tired of having to defend your party constantly right. from not just Democrats, but just Independents and even a lot of Republicans. Yeah. You know. So, again, it's a small sample size, but I think there are a lot of people that feel the same way.
2: Do you have imaginary arguments with them when they're not around about Trump?
1: Constantly, <laughs> my the space between my ears is a battlefield. Constantly, I yes. I,
2: I wonder about this because I have I have a a friend who will will go unnamed who I have I have these imaginary conversations with him about about politics yeah. in, in general, and and the thing is like I mean I it it they may they. They may they may not be accurate in my mind, sure. But it's it's this default, yeah. You know, I think, and which is an in, indicative of also how just how pervasive media is. Totally, you know, we're the problem.
1: To- yeah, right. <laughs> you know my you know my argument usually comes to just read the newspaper. Just look at the newspaper. Look at what's right. happening. It's not that hard. The,
2: the other day, it wasn't even the front page. I opened up like a jump page, and I th- I think like of seven headlines, Trump. Was the first word in like five of them, or something like that? Of course, and and it was, you know, it was just like it wasn't even like a day when anybody got convicted or indicted. <laughs> for a...
1: Right? Imagine <laughs> what it looks like today. It's
2: we got it right here. <laughs> All right, uh, we're gonna take a short break. Todd Ruger, our legal affairs staff writer for CQ and Roll Call, will be talking about the Supreme Court, Supreme Court's past term, the Supreme Court's coming term, and the Supreme Court politics of the Senate and Brett Kavanaugh. Take the Bill Press
1: Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast,
2: search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Welcome back to the Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick. I'm the deputy editor at Roll Call. I'm subbing in for Bill Press, who thought he'd have a nice, easy day and is probably submerged in newspapers as we speak, just gleefully reading the news, uh, given uh, Bill's uh, love and affection for the president uh, and and his men. Uh, oh, did I use that term, all the president's men? <laughs> I did. Uh, joining me is Todd Ruger. He's our legal affairs writer at CQ Roll Call, and, uh, and he is... We're going to talk about Supreme Court politics. We're also going to talk about the Supreme Court's last term and how, you know, just yesterday we were reminded about precedent and how important it is. And we'll do a little teaser for the the coming term, which uh, will be Brett Kavanaugh's first if he is confirmed. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Um, So let's talk a little bit about this week. Um, One thing that I noticed is that kind of quietly, um, Democrats had been basically boycotting Kavanaugh, like not meeting with him when, when he made his rounds around Capitol Hill, except for people in tough races like Heidi Heitkamp, Joe Manchin, Joe Donnelly. This week, all of a sudden, that sort of the dam burst a little bit. Yesterday, he met with Chuck Schumer, the minority leader. He met with Kamala Harris, who's on the Judiciary Committee and is a California Democrat, and he also met with Amy Klobuchar, who's also on the Judiciary Committee, and uh, a Minnesota Democrat. Also, Klobuchar uh, and Kamala Harris are usually they come up in discussions of 2020 presidential campaign uh, contenders. So this was a bit, this this felt like a, a turning point. Is it was that your it, Am I off you a little bit on there?
4: Well, I think what the Democrats are doing is trying every strategy they can to get in the way of Kavanaugh, or stop Kavanaugh, delay Kavanaugh. Um, find out everything they can about Kavanaugh, searching for these documents that w- might give them the golden nugget that lets you know, somebody like Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski, two Republicans uh, who you know, they're targeting their votes as possible, mm-hmm. no votes. Um, they're just trying everything they can, and this is part of it. Uh, the part of the holdout was they wanted to, to request through the Judiciary Committee as many documents as they could get about Kavanaugh's time in the White House. He worked as a White House counsel. Uh, for a year, and then he worked as a staff secretary. And uh, Chuck Grassley, the Ch- Judiciary Committee Chairman, hadn't been uh, hadn't asked for the the staff secretary documents. And there's there's you know tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of those documents. And so they held out from meeting with Kavanaugh, saying we we're going to hold out until we get these documents. Then it kind of became clear that. That wasn't going to work. So then they relented and then said, we're going to meet with him and press him on documents. So it's another – they get an, a couple headlines out of not meeting with him. Then they get some headlines out of mm-hmm. meeting with him. And that's, that's just all part of trying to do whatever they can.
2: And, I mean, nothing fires up like the – you know, like a liberal base, like saying, like, we haven't gotten these documents yet, right?
4: Well, absolutely. I mean, there's – well, there's, the, line, the line that all of them are using is, uh, what are they hiding? Which right. is, uh, hey, there's this huge pile of paper. There's right. something in there right. that you know about. That, uh, that you don't that you've created this process that will get him a confirmation vote before he um, bef- before we find out. and we'll only find out after he's on the, t- the bench and he can't, right. can't be removed and he's on there for life.
2: Because the archives have said that it' it'll be it wouldn't be until the end of, of September that they could even produce like a lot of these documents, right. Well, so, right, if they yeah. went through the normal process for
4: how they would how they would collect and review these before making them public, and then the, but the Republicans, uh, through a Bush team, uh, because George W. Bush, where he worked, the mm-hmm. administration he worked in, they get a chance to review these documents for privilege either right. way, right? right? So what they did is they said, well, let's do that up front and let's take all the privileged documents out. And then the archives can go through the ones that we contest. And we, we can, if we don't contest them, we'll just release them. And so it's this expedited process. Um, and the, but, but what the Democrats say is, well, that's a, going to be reviewed by the Bush lawyers and, and the, the nonpartisan archivist, mm-hmm. National Archives, that process won't be done until after he's,
2: he's on the bench. I so, mean, yeah, it, it is. I mean, it is a highly unusual process here. I mean, it, I, mean but, <laughs> right. I mean, but part of it, isn't it also that there's just there's so many more documents to process now? I mean, like, the, the, like, I don't I can't remember like any other Supreme Court nominee that had this much of a paper trail.
4: That's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's more documents for the you know, the, the Republicans are saying we're releasing more documents about Kavanaugh than we did about Kagan or Sotomayor. Mm-hmm. Um, but there just is more documents here. And and the the number of documents doesn't necessarily matter. Like the, right. one of the documents, uh, you know, they, they released 80,000 documents at one time on one day. I think it was a weekend maybe. And you there goes go through, Todd's Weekend. Right. Well, yeah, but you go through and and you know thirty thousand through forty thousand are all the same email from the Heritage Foundation. So that's ten thousand pages. Is Please that, come
2: to our cocktail hour right. slash net neutrality debate. Uh, you know, like uh, on Thursday <laughs> afternoon, Brett.
4: Right. But well, and everybody in the right. White House copied, copy, copy. So right. that doesn't really enlighten uh, any of the issues about this. And right. then there's a you know. So so the Democrats have been talking about this. I'm not sure that it's really connecting. Right. Um and then you've got the hearings in in two weeks.
2: September fourth. Right? So
4: right. So it I think the message from the White House is if you want to meet with uh the nominee, you better do it now. Right.
2: Uh, and there's a possibility. We we're hearing a little bit of chatter that that the Senate actually uh, even though they said they would be here all of August, churning away, working on nominations and spending bills, that they may not be here next week. So maybe this is the sort of the onslaught of, of Democrats meeting with him is that they they may. I mean, you, you can't work more than three and a half days, apparently, as a, as a United States senator. I mean, right. like, so you got to get everything <laughs> in there, you know, from from Monday evening to Thursday afternoon before you, you know, the jet fumes uh, right. sort of kick in.
4: And there have been some uh, Democrats that have said they want to meet with him after the hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh and so, so you
2: know, th- this is, I think, the the moment that they
4: had to do it, though.
2: So, one of the things that is was was interesting is that despite like you know the the Democrats talking about the documents and so forth, there was a moment that came up yesterday which reminded people of what's at stake, um, and and that was Susan Collins. She met with him right. for like a little over two hours. And she, you know, came out and said that she thought, you know, the the way that they talked about it, when they talked about Roe versus Wade, this is one of the concerns, is that he may uh, cast a uh, a vote against, to strike down Roe versus Wade, that she said it was, uh, she she said he told her, he has not said this, that it is settled law. And so that set off like, oh, wow, you know, and this is also what John, John Roberts said during his confirmation process, that he considered Roe versus Wade settled law um but what does that really mean <laughs> like when, when, when somebody says settled law what does that mean
4: well it's a uh it's something that you can say when that something has happened in the past i mean the mm-hmm. supreme court has made a decision a and thing when, that
2: happened in the past happened in the past
4: right and when <laughs> and when the supreme court made this decision they settled the issue so mm-hmm. the issue in roe v wade is uh constitutional access to abortion and there's casey planned parenthood in 1992 uh which sort of reshaped that law a little bit but but you know, upheld that basic fact that there's mm-hmm. a constitutional right to access to abortion, and so you know you can say that's settled law because it was a debate, it was a debate, it was a controversy, and the Supreme Court final word in the country settled it. Um, and then, so then the, that's a way that they can say we we don't need to talk about this issue anymore. It's it's settled. And then and then if uh, another abortion case comes up, they say, well, I can't talk about it because I don't want to color right. what's going to happen. That's hypothetical, so, right, right? So it's a right. way to to sort of um, to say to answer the question without answering the question, right. and th- and the settled law part, it, it's it's what you would call a precedent. Oh, we rely on a precedent. There's going to be talk about is this a Roe v. Wade a super precedent because right. other things have been, uh, you know, it's been in on the books so long, and other laws have been based on it. Uh, but but a settled law is generally only settled until the Supreme Court decides to decides, unsettle it. <laughs> right. The, that five pe- right. five justices on the court say. Well, you know what? We've looked at this and we think it's wrong, mm-hmm. and um, and there, there's so there's you know there's all these pillars of of what's called stare decisis, which right. is we should respect this older decision. But right. there's so there's all these reasons why hey maybe we shouldn't respect decision or maybe we should, and they weigh all those factors and then right. they can come down however they want on on the issue in the future.
2: Well, and I think this, I mean, when 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 we first saw the headlines yesterday, you know, Kavanaugh says Roe versus Wade is settled law. You know, the first thought was like, "Oh, wow, that's kind of a big deal that they that they talked about it in that kind of detail." And then it was interesting to see the reaction from uh, anti-abortion uh, groups and then abortion rights groups, which is that it didn't really change their minds at all. I mean, the the uh, pro-life group said, "Like, um, yeah, we're we're still cool with Kavanaugh," which is, I think, very telling. I mean, they, they didn't freak out. They didn't say, you know, like, "Holy cow, what happened to this guy." Um, And the, you know, like the the abortion rights groups like, you know, um, NARAL and so forth, they said that what you just explained, settled law means that it's just it's settled until it's unsettled. And all it takes is a new Supreme Court, which we will have a new Supreme Court on in October um, to to change that.
4: Right. I mean, and and to me, a lot of what's happening here, uh, you know, this document fight and stuff. The bigger picture is there's there's just a couple issues that are going to be key. I mean, there's a lot of fodder about uh, you know what the future is of access to abortion, and mm-hmm. and the the Democratic side and the liberal advocacy groups there, you know, they're saying this is the end of it. Right. Um, the Republicans are saying, well, we'll see. But 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 Trump has said we're going to put somebody on there that's that is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, and so you know that is that's that's why Susan Collins is such a A target, but the the latest polling uh, from Maine it doesn't really show that it's you know huge. There's a huge gap between people that want Kavanaugh on the court and don't in Maine. Um, Claire McCaskill, we reported that she said this is a kind of a political loser. It's like half the people are going to be pissed off and half the people are going to be uh, happy no matter what she does. So um, when Susan Collins comes out and says this is settled law, it really kind of sounds like she's paving the way towards. I think I'm going to vote yes here unless mm. something else happens. But she still hasn't officially made up her mind. But but she it sounds like she's going to accept the settled law argument.
2: So getting into this a little uh, deeper, I mean, like your um, your your background, your I mean, like you're you've done a fantastic job. think you. know, uh, being it, you know, covering the Supreme Court, covering the judiciary, uh, you know, for for CQ. I mean, I I uh, I, I love reading your stuff and following you. Um, but you've also like gone like a level even deeper now uh, in in a recent project that you've been working on because you've been looking at like the last term of the Supreme Court and right, looking yeah. at like the way they've approached precedent and the way the way that they have either you know like. Move toward it or overturn things and so forth. Let's talk a little bit about that. You've you've written sure. a book. You've turned it in. Uh, but like, let's talk about that book and your you know like your your role in it because it is a recurring book. It's it's one that comes out every year. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's
4: called. This is called American Justice 2018, mm-hmm. and so that's this year's version. And they've been hiring a journalist every year to write about the last Supreme Court term and look at you know what happened and mm-hmm. and why it's important. Um, and this was an incredible term. <laughs> yeah to to write about. I mean, it just so newsworthy. It was Gorsuch's first mm-hmm. Kennedy's last, and the number of big cases that came up. Um and when you talk about precedent, uh, th- I think there's a lot of lessons you can learn from the last term about, you know, a roe v Wade or how the court might might overturn something. I mm-hmm. mean, one of the the biggest example would be uh, a case about public sector unions mm-hmm. uh, called Janice. Uh, that that was about all about a case from nineteen seventy seven called a boot, which said that. Unions can collect these so-called agency fees from non-members, mm-hmm. so they they represent them in in and arbitra- collective, collective bargaining yeah. and other things, and then um, they ha- if they do that, then they have to pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Supreme Court, the conservatives on the Supreme Court since 2012 have basically been trying to get this uh, yeah. overturn it. Right. Um, you know, Justice Alito was one of the first to write, you know, in a in a decision. This this is not a good decision. This mm-hmm. is a 77 thing. They made a mistake. Um, this is a First Amendment right at stake. But that's settled
2: law, isn't it? Right. The so 77 it's, case it's been settled,
4: right? <laughs> and uh, and so th- they've been, but they tried for for five or six years. And and you know one of the times they had it teed up and they were going to do it, and then Justice Scalia died. Um, and you know Justice Scalia had heard arguments on it. Sounded like he was. On the on the and path, they, and they it. knew
2: it would be a four-four like draw. Well,
4: well, right. Well, probably, right. Yeah. So then, at, well, after he died, and there was only eight, it was a four-four draw, and mm-hmm. they and they couldn't decide it. And the lower court had decided in favor of the unions. So the union for so this sabood decision, um, which is very beneficial for unions to get money uh, to operate, even if it, even if they can't use that money officially for politics, it just kind of helps build their right. their structure and. Um, and so they, it lived on, but then in this last term, finally, they, they did it. Uh, they, the five conservative justices versus the four liberal justices. And, um, I wanted to, to, to write this down. So I remembered it. Kagan wrote the dissent and mm-hmm. she's, she was just scathing about there. There are all these reasons why this shouldn't be overturned. There's tons of state contracts that depend, you know, teachers, uh, other co- state contracts that depend on this, on this ruling and, and everything that's flowed out of it. There's, uh, you know, forty years of settled law here. There's no reason, and she said uh, the only reason that that the conservatives did it is because they never liked the decision, and quote because they wanted to. So, I mean, that that if that tells you a little bit about how um, how easy it is to overturn a. a a precedent. A
2: longstanding settled law precedent. Right. And uh, and
4: yeah. and what what the what the majority said was, you know, this is just wrong. It's a mm-hmm. violation of the First Amendment. The This person is being compelled to support speech that he doesn't uh, back. You know, when he when he his agency fees go to the union and the union says, well, we want uh, you know, we want policies about uh, climate change or we want policies about more money for the schools and he doesn't want more money for the schools. So it's you know, he's being forced to speak and he says it's been billions of dollars a, uh, over decades. So what one,
2: one of the things that w- when when I first, you know, found out that you were like b- writing this book and you've turned it in, right? I mean right, it, yes. it's, it's coming it comes out before the the next Supreme Court uh, term Correct. starts which yeah. is the first first Monday uh, in October. Um, one of the things that you were talking about was was how justices on the Supreme Court basically invite people to sue. Over some of these cases, which I thought was kind of fascinating, right? You know, because we, you know, I think a lot of people think tr- they they like to think of the Supreme Court as this sort of above it all. You know, it's, it's like they're kind of Jedi knights there, you know, and in and they're like building, you know, and and they just, you know, they, they just kind of like look at look at law, look at it as it comes to it, and they're, you know, like John Roberts says, they're just calling balls and strikes here, um, but. It's not that simple, is it? <laughs> no. Well, there's no lightsabers, so right. it's not, it's not like they're not like <laughs> Jedis in that. I was told there would be jetpacks and lightsabers.
4: <laughs> so, so the interesting thing about the, the Supreme Court versus, you know, the, the Congress, Congress can just say, hey, I want to do something about this issue and do it. Mm-hmm. Supreme Court, they pretty much have to have cases come to them. They get to choose their docket. They're highly selective, mm-hmm. but they can't decide exactly how the cases come. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the, what you're talking about is Justice Kennedy there was a, a case last term called Wayfair, which was about how states could collect sales tax across, across lines. And there's mm-hmm. been this long-established law that unless there's a physical presence in a state, mm-hmm. a state can't require an out-of-state retailer. Now we're talking eBay, Amazon. Uh, Amazon. Right. They can't force them to collect the sales tax and right. remit it to the state okay. or use tax, sales and use tax. So... Um, There was a case out of colorado all the states don't like this so colorado put in some things to try to get around these decisions and uh and when that case got up to the supreme court kennedy so it was kind of related but it wasn't related to these this physical presence rule and kennedy wrote separately in this decision to say hey uh by the way i think it's necessary to point this out that these these laws are governed before the internet age there we're in a different era now everybody can order from their couch they can order something from across the country so maybe it's time that that we look we look at these precedents from a long time ago
2: somebody please sue
4: right and so so there was a there believe me people pay attention when they do these little calls out on what they were are looking for and Mm -hmm. there was a lawyer here in washington uh who's an advocate in front of the supreme court He heard that he helped South Dakota write a law and then pass a law that they knew would be unconstitutional because it had already, you know, this these under these precedents, it it would be struck down. And they knew that. And they said, yeah, we know it. We concede that this is unconstitutional. Only reason we passed this law was to get a case in front of the Supreme Court. So it got up in front of the the court this last term.
2: Kennedy, Uh, Kennedy asked for it. Kennedy got it. Kennedy and wrote he, the decision. Kennedy wrote the decision <laughs> and then they dropped the mic and retired. Right. yeah <laughs> he, well, got, he, got, he got his sales tax case law and he's like, that's it.
4: Well, it's I'm done. Well, it's <laughs> interesting. Uh, what's really interesting about that case is it was five four, but the four included uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, mm-hmm. who sided with three liberals um, to to say like, you know what what you're doing is, is goes beyond what co- what we should do. This is a this is a case for Congress to mm-hmm. do. When it comes to interstate commerce, like the, you know, Congress should be stepping in. They they did these rules and they put these rules in place, these rulings in the absence of Congress right. and invited Congress to act. And then it had been 25 years and Congress hadn't done anything. But that doesn't mean that the Supreme Court should step in. I mean, this is what John Roberts is saying. You know, the, the, the companies or states had, had come in three separate times asking them to knock this down. And this was the third time. And previous two times is like, no, we're not. You know, we we already decided this. We're going to keep it in place. One of those times in 1992, Kennedy signed on to the signed on and said, "Well, stare decisis. This is a precedent. We should keep it." <laughs> Settled law. 25 <laughs> years later, he writes the decision to strike it down, and 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 he, you know he goes and explains all the reasons why stare decisis doesn't apply. Hey, look, 25 years ago, it's a different era. There's these huge uh, companies that are. Are uh, you know doing this? We couldn't even have imagined what that was like in '92. Mm-hmm. So now we, it was our bad decision, and we need to fix it. Uh, but but with Roberts, you say this is a huge part. He says this is a huge part of the economy, mm-hmm. and why should we be doing economic policy? You know, Congress is much better suited to sort of craft. Uh, uh, ways ways around all the problems and all the in- different. There's so interests. much more thoughtful. About well, these this things. is just like: is there a rule or is there not a rule? Right. So it's a, it's one or the other. And so right. and so John Roberts, you know, this, that's a, that's a way to to look at where the court might be going in the future because John Roberts, you know, he doesn't want to to have the court strike out and right. and be activist and and you know jeopardize the the reputation of the court as right. a as a you know political actor.
2: So that that is interesting. I mean, with Kennedy. Retiring. I mean, Kavanaugh is, I mean, unless something extraordinary happens, uh, you know, Kavanaugh will likely be confirmed to replace him and he'll be on the bench in October. And that, but it's not kind of a one for one. I mean, in a lot of ways, Kavanaugh is a lot more conservative, a lot more predictable in terms of his own ideologies than, than Kennedy, although, as you stated, things can change. Uh, in, in 25 years. But this puts a lot of focus on Roberts as, as the chief justice of, of the United States. I mean, that he he could become the new swing justice
4: in a way. Right. Well, he his 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 role will be so pivotal now because not only as a chief justice does he, you know, sway the, the justices and, and assign uh, opinions and um, and sort of rule and the court and and, and uh, his opinion is. Important in the direction of the court, but now how he views individual cases mm-hmm. will also be important because Kavanaugh, you know, a lot of people think will be to the right of of the chief justice. So if the liberals won any victories in in the future, they will have to win over a John Roberts, which is a much harder, harder sell than a than an Anthony Kennedy. Um, and you the, the the areas where that's particularly going to matter, and which is why we're having this big Roe v. Wade settle law thing, is that that Kennedy was uh, he did sign on on, on to the abortion access to abortion decisions, mm-hmm. and Kavanaugh, you know, if, if he doesn't, mm-hmm. he would be that fifth vote against it. Whereas right. Kennedy was the kind of the bulwark against. So, against some of these laws that states are passing,
2: so there was a lot of chatter yesterday, especially after the indictments uh, and after, uh, or not the indictment, but the uh, Cohen plea deal uh, and and the Manafort conviction. That why should con- why should the Senate confirm somebody who was nominated by somebody who was an unindicted co-conspirator uh, in in a in a fraud case? The the President of the United States, and one of the things that you you noticed is somebody was was. Uh, You know, saying, like, well, of course they're going to do it because this is uh, Supermarket Sweep, the Republican (laughs) Supermarket Sweep. (laughs) And we've we've, dug up.
1: Here it is.
2: The Supermarket Sweep.
1: We all recognize the Supermarket Sweep theme
4: song. That's good memories. (laughs) That's good memories.
2: So – Let's explain this, though. I mean, like for for those for those who may have not been glued to the game show network, <laughs> or or just bored after fourth grade, uh, like what Supermarket Sweep was like this game show where you could just. You know, like you, your the whole goal was you had the most expensive items in the in the supermarket, and like people ran through the you know the the aisles, and they they were like going for the you know caviar or filet mignon or whatever, and it had to add up. If you got the most expensive cart of the three contestants, you won the supermarket sweep. So what, what's the metaphor here that we're looking at?
4: Right. Well, the image the image you get from this is somebody pushing a cart and just kind of like putting their arm out and getting everything they can <laughs> in the cart. And
2: that's, a Supreme Court justice, right, right. And circuit so, court nominees, more district judges. Right.
4: So, so the, you know, the, um, the, I think that this, the, all the events of yesterday, I'm sure you were talking about that in the last half hour, right? Um, yes. That Just that, a little bit. That is, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it does add a really interesting wrinkle to this Supreme Court confirmation process. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious to get on the Hill today and talk to lawmakers and find out. Whether there's any traction to this, mm-hmm. um, in in terms of should we should we have uh, a Supreme Court nominee go forward when the person who nominated him is, um, in you know in in a indictment or in a named as a co-conspirator. But who, when Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh has made statements in the past that that presidents shouldn't be held and criminally responsible um, when they're in office, so changed,
2: changed his own mind about it. <laughs> so <laughs> well, it th- sh- yeah. this should make uh, this should make some of those meetings uh, pretty interesting. Todd, we got to wrap it up, but thank you so much. You can follow Todd uh, on Twitter at Todd Ruger, and you can follow his stories this at Rollcall.com.
0: is the Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support.
1: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill
2: Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick. I'm the deputy editor for news at Roll Call, and I'm subbing in for Bill, who, um, I, again, we have we've just making fun of this. I mean, if, if he was going to miss one day, this was not going to be the day to miss. Uh, we have had primaries. We've had... Indictments. We've had plea deals. We've had convictions. Uh, I mean, this this would have been the day that Bill, uh, w- a, a true news junkie, would have wanted to jump in. We've but had, luckily— we've, we've had turkey. We've had tookie. Tiki. Tookie. Tookie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've had Jim Justice's not—we're not, not going to talk about his weight. We're well, not going to talk about his weight, but he's a big
1: guy. <laughs> he's a big we're guy. We're not going to talk about him, but he's a big guy.
2: Uh, but Peter does have the full-court press, which we will— this Go to you right now.
1: Full court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news here on a very busy news day. There are still some other stories out there. Well, so are you one of these people that worries about your? I worry about everything. Peter. I, same, same. But do you worry about your phone tracking your uh, movements, like where you've been? Phone I, calls, I, I, sharing I, data.
2: I, I do, but I also appreciate that, like, if I'm uh, walking more, that I can feel good about myself because I'm tracking my steps.
1: Totally. Yes, So it's totally. a trade-off.
2: Like, well, total invasion of privacy, but I get to feel good about myself. Exactly. For kind yes, of, sort exactly. of, exercise.
1: Well, I'm not, I, I, like, so Apple has gotten in a lot of trouble over the years because they notoriously track... A lot of data that people use. Well, it turns out that Android might not be any better. A new uh, study from Vanderbilt University tested Android phones with Chrome running in the background. And it turns out it sent your location data to Google 340 times within a 24-hour period. In other words, about 14 times per hour. That is... Much more than Apple. That's about ten times more than Apple does. Not that it's okay that Apple does it. But, but
2: Google said that they weren't going to be evil.
1: Yeah, I know. What? And, and if we can't take this giant conglomerate corporation at their word, who can we trust? Who can we trust? Who can we trust? <laughs> so if you're worried about your phone sharing your data, it probably is. Uh, but the Android and the Google phones are sharing it with a lot more uh, than your Apple phone. Uh, so, legal pot is another story that we talk about often here in the Full Court Press.
2: You seem to have a more than passing interest in it, Peter.
1: Talk about what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life, Jason. Uh, so, the California's legal pot is is not off to a great start. It's been it's been legal it legalized this year. They made forty eight million dollars between April and June, which sounds like a ton of money, and it's a jump from the first uh, three months. But they're saying one of the problems is. That like California learned how to manage an illegal pot market for years, right? So, it's so people
2: are still, util- people utilizing, are still it. utilizing it. are still
1: utilizing it because, for the, in all honesty, it's cheaper. It is like, you know, illegal or the illegal market that they had set up in California worked so well for so long; it was so efficient that Can people we just, just call
2: it like, a gray market, perhaps. A gray you market, know, like
1: yes, just, you know. yes, yes. It's the gray market of weed. Uh, is still so strong in California that they're not making as many dollars off of the taxes as they thought they were
2: going to make. They should just go over to Colorado. That's that's how you do it.
1: That is the gold standard. Gold standard. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, amid all the other news that we had yesterday, because it was a pretty big news day, turns out Hurricane Lane strengthened into a Category 5 storm. It, in fact, it is the most powerful, most dangerous Category 5 storm that we've ever seen, and it's headed towards Hawaii. Now, Hawaii doesn't typically get hit spot on with hurricanes, right? But they usually have to deal with some of the uh, the fallout. But as of right now, it was upgraded to a uh, Category 5, and it's huge. It's wow. huge. So please, for crying out loud, be careful out there. Um, also, by the way, what other story. Facebook and Twitter yesterday, they banned about 900 accounts. They're trying to sort of tackle their fake news problem. They happened to do this during the hour of craziness yesterday <laughs> afternoon. Uh, not sure if they did that on purpose. Four o'clock. Or, uh, what yeah. could happen? It's yeah. like their,
2: people are slowing down. They're, heading, you know, thinking about getting out of the office.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they, 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 they banned 900 different accounts. Uh, Facebook banned 650 accounts. Twitter banned the others. So uh, a big day for them. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show.
2: We are back, and we're going to be talking to Bridget Bowman, our senior political reporter at Roll Call. If you'd like to follow her on Twitter, you can do so at Bridget BHC. BHC is for Holy Cross. Yes. Her her uh, alma mater uh, <laughs> up up in Massachusetts. Massachusetts? Yes. yes. And... Uh, um, Bridget has been uh, Bridget has been busy before 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> she has been busy pretty much all August, even during mm. the week that the Senate was actually, the two weeks that the Senate was actually out. Uh, we've had, uh, it seems like, an inordinate number of significant primaries that are setting up general election races uh, in, in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we actually had... Um, the, two primaries last night that we weren't like, I mean, it's not that these were the biggest things. There were Wyoming and, and Alaska, uh, not a bunch of marquee races, but we mm. were just like, just in case, let's <laughs> let's see what happens in Wyoming. John Barrasso, who's a part of Republican leadership, uh, he's uh, the uh, uh, Republican uh, senator from Wyoming, and uh, he had a primary, and he, had, he was facing like five, five other challengers, yeah. and it was, uh, uh, it's not that we expected him to lose, but you never know, right? Right. I yeah, mean, it's you been never this know. <laughs> un- Unpredictable. Anyway, so yeah. l- what happened last night in the in, in Alaska and in Wyoming?
5: Yeah. So. so he was facing, like you said, a handful of challengers. There was one challenger who was a self-funder, had mm-hmm. donated around a million dollars to his campaign. A local newspaper had endorsed that. Um, Businessman over Barrasso. The Cap Casper Star Tribune, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but it, Barrasso ended up easily winning the primary. Mm-hmm. The Associated Press called the race with like twenty percent of mm-hmm. precincts reporting, so it was pretty, pretty easy night for him. I, right. I ran into him in the Senate basement yesterday and asked him how he was feeling about it. He was like, "I'm confident. I'm going back to Wyoming." Mm-hmm. And it turned out, and he was had a good reason not to be too worried.
2: Right, and he and he faces. Uh, a Democrat who's run a couple of times for the House, uh, the the at large House seat in Wyoming, Gary mm-hmm. uh, uh, Trauner yes. uh, is his name. He's a businessman. Mm-hmm. He's run twice in 06 and 08 uh, during and and didn't significantly did not win in big Democratic years. Mm-hmm. Uh, was not able to get over uh, the hump. Although he's always sort of he's not a disaster candidate. I mean he's not a gadfly or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's just. You know, Wyoming. We're we're not expecting him to uh, to to knock off Ron Perasso at this point in Wyoming.
5: No, um, our friends over at Inside Elections, who do the race ratings for roll call, have mm-hmm. that solid Republican. It's not expected to be competitive, but. I mean, you never know. <laughs> right, right. We'll, but, we'll keep an yeah, eye on it in the exactly. in, in, in the
2: margins. Yeah. Uh, so, what are some of the other races? And we'll get we'll get to next week's big races. But what's, mm-hmm. what are some of the other big races that have shaped your August? Uh, when? <laughs> when? And again, normally, I mean, you've been at Roll Call for a couple of years now. You know, this was when we kind of put our feet up. Right. So that, those days are gone now, <laughs> no, right? Not
5: uh, happening right. over at the politics team. Yeah, it's been a really busy month. Um, one big primary that recently happened was in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a race we were watching pretty closely uh, because it's expected to be a competitive Senate race. Mm-hmm. Tammy
2: Baldwin is a Democrat. She's yes. the incumbent. She first won in 2012. Yep. Uh, and uh, yes, so, so that, that was just last week. Right? Yeah, that right. was
5: just last week. Um, one of the last kind of competitive Senate races where the matchups hadn't been set yet. Mm-hmm. So there, State Senator Leah Vukmir won the Republican primary. Mm-hmm. She had the backing of the state Republican Party. Um, So that was notable in that there was a lot of outside money helping her opponent in the primary, Kevin Mm -hmm. Nicholson. Mm -hmm. So it kind of had me questioning how effective can outside money be in Wisconsin? And we've seen a lot of outside money spent so far and are expecting even more to come into that state. It's probably going to be one of the pricier Senate races, at least so far has been one of the most expensive Senate races.
2: And w- we also have the I mean it's it's not just the Senate there too. I mean mm-hmm. like they're they're they have a, a bunch of like sort of high profile races. I mean the, the governor, Scott Walker, yes. uh sort of liberals bet noir. Uh, he's <laughs> he's running for a third term. Um, you know, he's managed to hang on through thick and thin since for being first elected in, in twenty ten. Um but there's also the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, is retiring and, yes. and, and there's a fairly I mean competitive race for his uh Janesville. This is a southern uh, so, southeastern Wisconsin seat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know?
5: Republicans still feel pretty confident about that seat. Mm-hmm. Southeastern Wisconsin is the conservative base mm-hmm. in the state. Um, and there's a former Paul Ryan aide, Brian Stile, who's running for mm-hmm. that seat. He is facing Randy Bryce, who's also known as Iron Stash. Iron Stash. <laughs> His Twitter <laughs> handle. Uh, he has raised several million dollars so mm-hmm. far. Um, we'll have to kind of keep an eye to see if he keeps raising that amount of money when he's not running against Paul Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, he did was able to win that primary. He did have a spirited challenge from a Janesville school board member in the Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll have to see sort of how that race progresses. Democrats are still targeting it. Mm-hmm. But it might be tougher for Bryce, like I said, to raise as much money and attention because he's not he doesn't have this kind of national enemy from the Democratic perspective that right. he's taking on.
2: And it, it is an interesting part of of the state. I mean, it's 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 kind of it's not quite halfway between Chicago and Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. But but it is this, you know, it's a former sort of blue collar area. There was a, a big auto plant there for for years Uh, Janesville, like where Paul Ryan lives, is is actually not the super conservative part of of the district. It's a fairly liberal place. Not a fairly liberal, but it's a democratic part of the district. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's the area around it that comprises this very, like, kind of fairly conservative rural and and suburban area for both Chicago and Milwaukee, right?
5: Yeah, Yeah, that's right. It does have that kind of blue collar like you mentioned roots um, I was in Janesville in 2016 for a Trump rally there and ran into a lot of Democrats though just running around to, um, right. <laughs> asking people about Speaker Ryan and everything um, so yeah it does have a Democratic area which makes Democrats a little more optimistic about it
2: and you have to advertise almost in in Chicago and Milwaukee to reach yeah. everybody in the area so it can, mm-hmm. can be kind of ex- expensive mm-hmm. um, there's also there was a big race uh, a series of big races in, in Minnesota and it's not that the I mean we're, we're still expecting a lot of, you know, sort of Democrats to to prevail eventually. But like Keith Ellison, who's the, you know, um, progressive caucus chairman. I mean, he was he's was leaving his house seat to run for attorney general and mm-hmm. he won. But it's in a, it's in a kind of a weird situation there, too. Right.
5: Right. He was facing <clears throat> some allegations of domestic violence, mm-hmm. uh, was still able to win the primary. It's actually interesting. You see. Uh, Congressional Leadership Fund, which is a Republican super PAC uh, focused on House races, has been running ads pressuring House Democratic candidates in Minnesota to weigh in on this and Mm -hmm. to condemn Ellison. So that's sort of trickling down to even the House contest, too.
2: One thing, it's been interesting that the the Republicans seem very adept at at framing these issues of like, do you support Keith Ellison? Do you support Nancy Pelosi for speaker and so forth? Um, Are we seeing that same dynamic on the Republican side where, I mean, Jim Jordan, who is, uh, you know, a, a sort of a firebrand conservative uh, mm-hmm. House Freedom Caucus. He's facing some allegations that he turned the other way uh, when and, and did not pay attention when he should have to abuse at Ohio State when he was a, a coach, a wrestling coach there. Uh, is, are people being asked about him? Because he wants to run for speaker, uh, I- assuming that he is reelected. Actually, right. you don't even have to be a member of the House to be Speaker, but you, it's usually a good idea.
5: Right, kind of helps a little. Right. Bit. Um, not really, we've seen some Ohio candidates ask about it. Cause Jim mm-hmm. Jordan is from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually did see House Majority Pack, which is a super PAC on the Democratic side, era a digital ad that's named Jordan, uh, Steve Scalise, and mm-hmm. Kevin McCarthy, the kind of three potential speaker uh, candidates in their ad calling on Republicans to take a side, kind of bringing up some past mm-hmm. issues with them. Uh, So, in sort of an effort almost to try and put Republicans on defense on this, Mm -hmm. it seems like the problem for Democrats is that there isn't a central figure to Tie Republicans to like they have three different people they're naming right. in this ad as opposed to Republicans who just talk about Nancy Pelosi, right? So that's or Keith Ellison <laughs> in, in, in the Minnesota situation. Right. Uh, but it makes it a little trickier for Democrats to try to put Republicans on the spot mm-hmm. when Speaker Ryan was still running a House majority pack. One of their early ads was about focused on Ryan, and they really wanted to try to tie. Republican House candidates to Ryan to Ryan's agenda, right. but now that's tougher to do because he's not going to be around uh, in the next Congress. Right,
2: and also I should mention uh, that that at the, the statewide level, you know, in Minnesota, the you know, like Democrats are favored in the governor's race. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, even with Ellison's, you know, the, the allegations against him, he's probably still a, a favorite to win that. And there are two Senate seats: Game of Klobuchar is up, and then Tina Smith, uh, who replaced Al Franken, uh, is is running for a full term. And they they all seem to have you know like the, the the trends are sort of favoring them in the midterms. But there are and I know that uh, Simone is yeah. is, is, is <laughs> the, the, uh, the the Minnesota expert mm-hmm. and and Simone Pathé, your your, uh, uh, your your colleague at the politics desk at uh, at Roll Call. And she's on travels right now, mm-hmm. traveling around uh, the Upper Midwest and, and West. But um, but there are two House seats. The one that Waltz is is. Uh, um, uh, vacating to run for governor, and and up in the north, Brick Nolan uh, is vacating his seat to run for lieutenant governor. Ran for and and you know, those two seats are are toss-up races, and and could possibly. I mean, people talk about Democrats need 23 seats to mm-hmm. retake the majority, but if they lose those two, which is very feasible, then it becomes 25.
5: That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so Minnesota is the place where Republicans largely are on defensive cycle. Mm-hmm. Those are two seats there where they think that they could really that they could actually flip mm-hmm. wherever they are on offense. Uh, those seats saw a lot of outside money in the last cycle. They're seats that President Trump won by big margins in 2016. Mm-hmm. So Republicans see a real opening there. So those will definitely be seats that we're watching for right. sure.
2: And one of the reasons, too, that the, the Minnesota was the only upper Midwest state that did not go for Donald Trump mm-hmm. uh, in the 2016 election. And he he didn't fall short by much. I mean, it was a lot closer, I think, than the Hillary Clinton people thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, obviously, they expected to do better in places like Michigan that they, that they didn't. So we're probably going to see a lot of activity. I mean, I mean, the primary in Minnesota was last week, uh, mm-hmm. but there's there's a lot to follow uh, in, in, the, For in, sure. in, in the coming <laughs> weeks. So let's talk about uh, before we talk about your upcoming trip to mm-hmm. the Midwest. Let's talk about next week's primaries because they're big ones.
5: Yes. So next you know. week, the primaries to watch are really in Arizona and Florida.
2: Arizona. Arizona, you say?
5: Yes. I I heard you're familiar Uh, with that. Yes, I'm slightly familiar with the state. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Your home state, of My home state
2: of Arizona. It is never uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
5: that's true. Uh, there is obviously a com- very competitive Senate race there. Jeff
2: Flake is retiring, a, a, yep. a, a, critic, a prominent mm-hmm. critic of, of Donald Trump. Yes. Uh, he, he is retiring, and, he, and there's this crazy primary to, in, the, in the Republican uh, field to replace right. him.
5: The Democratic field appears set right now. Democratic Congresswoman Kirsten Cinema has kind of, everyone's sort of consolidated around her. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the Republican side, it's been a pretty intense fight uh, mm-hmm. for the Republican nomination. Right. So There, Congresswoman Martha McSally, who represents Tucson in the House, Mm -hmm. uh, is running. Uh, She's kind of- This
2: is Gabby Giffords' old seat around Tucson area. Uh, More of a,
5: definitely a swing seat in the state. Uh, So in Congress, she had sort of a moderate reputation, but now in the primary, she's been really trying to tie herself to President Trump. Uh, The interesting thing here, President Trump has not weighed into this primary, so Mm -hmm. that's kind of opened up each candidate to say, I am the strongest ally for Trump. Mm -hmm. So you have McSally doing that, along with former state senator Kelly Ward, who challenged McCain in 2016 in the mm-hmm. primary and lost, mm-hmm. um, as well as former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who Trump pardoned. Right. Uh, so each candidate convicted is trying...
2: of uh, of contempt of court uh, yes. r- related to um, racial profiling in the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Right. So, and, tr- and Trump's first mm-hmm. pardon in office was of Sheriff Joe.
5: Yeah. So he he says, of course, like I am Trump's best ally. I was one of his early endorsers, and uh, Ward is saying that she was early supporting Trump's agenda. And she's been really going after McSally. McSally was critical of the president, especially after the Access Hollywood tape. Uh, she said that she wouldn't support him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been this kind of intense fight between the three of them. Mm-hmm. Most folks, most Republicans in DC and and a number in Arizona believe that McSally has long been favored the the person to win the mm-hmm. primary and still is. Uh, there was a poll that came out last week that showed her 20 points ahead of Ward mm-hmm. uh, with Arpaio kind of in a distant third. Um, Ward's team is hoping to, to take some votes from Arpaio supporters, and they see the race a lot tighter than that. Uh, but I think the sense is that McSally is probably going to be the one to come out of this.
2: And McSally got kind of a boost from the president last week. Yes. Uh, he he went up to um, Fort Drum in in uh, uh, up, upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where the 10th Mountain Division uh, is headquartered, and he was signing the, the Pentagon, big Pentagon policy bill, the defense authorization bill. Uh, and Martha McSally was right there, uh, you know, sort of nearby as as he signed this, and he gave her kind of like a shout out.
5: Uh, yeah, Republicans I talked to in Arizona said that was definitely helping her, mm-hmm. uh, that she was able to say, well, I'm standing with the president, he's talking to me, he's calling me out by name. Uh, it is interesting that the Politico first reported this that the NRSC chairman Corey Gardner did ask President Trump to endorse McSally mm-hmm. a little while ago, and he declined to do that. Uh, part of that might be because of his relationship with Arpaio. It's not totally clear. Uh, But Republicans say that that request as well as kind of last minute spending that's happening on behalf of McSally is more out of extreme caution Mm -hmm. rather than any real legitimate concern that she's going to lose this primary. But we are seeing last minute ads go up against Ward to try and make sure that McSally does put this away.
2: And so before we get to Florida, um, the 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 race between Kirsten Sinema, who I mean, she she represents a um, Phoenix based. Uh, seat uh, it's it's been a swing district it's, it's the ninth district and she and she's she's had to run sort of tough races ever, ever since she came to Congress in 2012 mm-hmm. uh, it, it's very much a, a it's a it's this probably the swingiest of the of the swing districts in Arizona uh, yes they do exist uh, <laughs> and, and McSally also you know comes from this swing district in in the southern part you know, like near near Tucson. McSally is a um, you know a combat veteran. Uh, she she has you know she matches up well with the district. There's a lot of veterans, uh, particularly in Tucson, but also statewide. Cinema though, has been raising just gobs of money uh, and and has really like she hasn't had to run to her left, even though she's, you know, she's had fairly liberal policy positions in the past. She's been able to talk about things like health care and so forth. So what are the dynamics that you're looking at as you follow that race in the fall, assuming that McSally uh, holds on in the GOP primary?
5: Right. So you bring up a good point about Cinema's fundraising. That's something that Republicans say makes her a very formidable candidate. Mm-hmm. And the kind of tricky thing here, like you said, cinema didn't really have a competitive primary. So she's been on TV since April. Mm-hmm. And she's been talking to very much focus on independent voters, people who she's going to need more moderate voters mm-hmm. who are going to have to cross over maybe to support her. So for months, she's been putting forth this message in her TV ad saying, I am an independent. I'm talking about health care. Um, and one Republican consultant in Arizona I talked to you said, essentially, like, this is a problem, that we have not been countering that. No one's been attacking her. She's been unchallenged on the airwaves for months now, talking independents And meanwhile, Republicans are fighting it out.
2: And she's a good candidate, too. I mean, even if she had to run like hard, she's proved like herself. She's kind of battle tested over the last few years.
5: They're both uh, one Republican described them both as both well-funded, both driven candidates. uh, So it's going to be a really tight. People are expecting this to be a very tight race. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other tricky thing about Arizona, which, you know, is that a lot of people vote by mail. Mm -hmm. So mail-in ballots go out in early October. So Republicans are kind of looking at this as like a six week sprint after the primary. Mary, to really start focusing on independent voters to get the message out there for McSally. They think that they can do that because they've this is not a new thing in Arizona, but right. it is tough because Cinema has been spending so much money. Um, I was looking back at the 2012 race, which was the last time there was an open seat in Arizona and the Democrat then she's spending like at least 10 times more than the Democrat did in that race. And Like won by like three points in 2012. Right, he beat
2: Richard Carmona, the former Surgeon General in the United States. Yeah. Um,
5: So it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how Republicans try and make up some of that ground that she's already.
2: Also, two women running against one another. Yeah. Um, I mean, which is, I mean, it it actually is not an extraordinary thing in Arizona because Mm we've had, we've had two, we've had three. uh, Governors who were women, um, and and we like at one point all like the five top statewide officials. Uh, I'm doing a little humble brag on my state <laughs> here. Uh, it, were were women, uh, and they were also not, not of the same party. It was like they were Republicans and Democrats. Uh, I mean, this is the this is what the. Uh, where Janet Napolitano came from, she was the st- state attorney general and then became the governor. So it's a, it's it's interesting like that that the you know for all of its sort of Western machismo you know as as a state uh, it, it's been very uh, up you know very forward thinking in terms of like women are highly represented you know mm-hmm. at, at every level. So all right, Florida. Let's talk about Florida. Uh, It's like the Sunbelt primaries uh, (laughs) next week.
5: Yeah, so Florida, again, another competitive Senate race. Here, Democratic Senator Bill Nelson is defending his seat in a state that Trump won by like one point. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is expected to face Governor Rick Scott, uh, who has cleared the field on the Republican side, Mm -hmm. essentially. And um, the challenge, I think, when Scott announced that he was going to run, Immediately this became much more competitive mm-hmm. because he has so much money. Right. He's spent about 20 million dollars on his campaign so far, and he's been spending it on right. TV ads too. And he's already has is well known in this state, has won statewide. So this is a race Twice. that mm-hmm. yes, uh, so this is a race that could cause Democrats some heartburn, I think. Um, and especially if they have to spend money here in a more expensive state than maybe North Dakota or Montana, other states where they're defending as well.
2: And Bill Nelson, I mean, he's going for a third term. I mean, he's this sort of genial character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, he's a former astronaut and so forth. But he really hasn't been challenged, you know, in his races. I mean, he he ran against Connie Mack, uh, the. Third or fourth or fourth, I think. Connie Mack the fourth, who was not, who did not run a very good race mm-hmm. in 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 twenty twelve, and then he beat Katherine Harris uh, in in two thousand six, uh, who was a, an extremely flawed care, uh, candidate. And so he, this is a tough race, and it doesn't seem like the Nelson campaign is is like going to the ramparts here. I mean, like they're not on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're. And, and Nelson doesn't seem to be presenting himself with the same kind of urgency that you see a lot of other people who are like, yeah, this is going to be a tough race. I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. What's what's going on with the Nelson camp?
5: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure how worried Democrats are about that. I think they think he'll still be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is a good point that Scott is out there really going hard mm-hmm. and you don't see th- as much from the Nelson side. Right. Uh, Nelson does still have Theoretically, a financial advantage. Mm-hmm. In the most recent fundraising reports, he had around 14 million dollars in his campaign, mm-hmm. and Rick Scott had three million dollars. But then again, he's clearly willing to spend his own right. money, so that could he can make up that difference really quickly if he wanted to.
2: Is is it an example also of Democrats thinking that like you know demographics are going to help them out because you know I mean Florida is is trending dem, you know Democratic mm-hmm. in in some ways because there's a lot I mean a lot of people from Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, who are you know refugees from their hurricanes of, of the last couple of years have, have come over, and also the f- uh, financial crisis there. Uh, but is that? I mean, it, I mean, it's t- it's tough to tell. We've talked about this a lot, like how a lot of states like Florida or mm-hmm. Texas are like they're different states every couple of years. I mean, th- th- that it's yeah. it, it is it it just seems like the this shouldn't be a race that Democrats want to take for granted, necessarily.
5: Right, and I don't know if Democrats necessarily are. But you make a, a good point about the demographic shift, is we see this also in House races, too, in California, and Texas, uh, that Democrats see Latino voters as a key voting block bloc- mm-hmm. for them, people who could be energized by the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the past, as I've diff- talked to different folks about this, they consistently point out that Latino voters aren't as consistent Uh, in turning out. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be tough to get these voters to turn out. So we'll have to see what that targeting looks like and and whether that's effective.
2: And Rick Scott has been I mean kind of playing a little bit to Puerto Rico. He's visited Mm -hmm. the island uh, a few times. I mean Puerto Ricans are American citizens. So all you have to do is register to vote and they're (laughs) <laughs> they mm-hmm. they become part of the voting electorate. Um, it you no know, it it is sort of interesting, and I, I should, we should note that the governor's race is kind of interesting too on the Republican side, especially because you've got Ron DeSantis, who's a, a, a member of the House uh, and has been a, a big Trump, you know, sort of ally mm-hmm. uh, in 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 the House. He's a former FBI agent. He was on the baseball team. Uh, he's running against a former House. Uh, who was the AG commissioner and is you know left the house to go back? You know where everybody thought like yeah, in a few cycles he's going to probably make a run for governor. So you have a former House member and a and a regular House member that that's going to be kind of an interesting thing to see how Trump's influence you know might come because he's fully endorsed Ron DeSantis
5: for sure. You know? And we've seen in other gubernatorial races that House members have not been doing as well in primaries. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see like how. They tie each other maybe to D.C. Right. And, and whether that's effective in a statewide race right. for sure.
2: So let's talk about your upcoming trip. You're leaving tomorrow for yes. the middle of the country, Missouri. Yep.
5: Yes, I'm heading out to Kansas City. Show uh, us what's going on. <laughs> to the show me state. Nice. Uh-huh. Um, going out to there to cover the Senate race, obviously another competitive Senate mm-hmm. race, um, as well as there are a couple uh, – targeted house races mm-hmm. in kansas and the kansas city side so mm-hmm. hoping to catch up with some of those candidates too
2: yeah so, so Claire mccaskill uh is is uh, arguably one of the more vulnerable senate democrats right she's running against the state attorney general josh hawley mm-hmm. uh and and you know, the, the the president has been to Missouri a few times, too, uh, to to, you know, kind of keep his presence up there and to remind people that he does not like he, he might like Claire McCaskill. I forget how he phrases that. Mm-hmm. Like she's not a bad person and things like that. Mm-hmm. He says that about you know, a lot of Democrats, but they just don't vote for us. I mean, mm-hmm. how much how much is this sort of playing out in the race, do you think?
5: Yeah, I think Republicans note consistently that Trump is still very popular there. He mm-hmm. won the state by 20 points of mm-hmm. uh, the tricky thing, I think, for Josh Hawley is he's in a tough spot on trade, on mm-hmm. tariffs that are hitting the soybean industry very hard, mm-hmm. uh, could hit agriculture in the state. Uh, he has been less willing to say that he uh, is against the tariffs. Mm-hmm. He did said, like, we want to let the president try and work this out because we need better trade deals. Um, the interesting thing, too, for Holly is this Senate race, more than other Senate races, you hear a lot about the Supreme Court vacancy. Holly mm-hmm. uh, is a former Supreme Court clerk. I think it seems like he sees this issue as a very comfortable place for him to talk about and to point out McCaskill, who voted against the president's last Supreme Court nominee, yeah, uh, as, such, yeah. right, as someone who doesn't support the president's agenda and, mm-hmm. and conservative values. And so... Yeah, that's yeah. one of those races. Well, and that. it's
2: interesting, too. You were on a press call with McCaskill and her people mm-hmm. uh, recently, and McCaskill made what I thought was a very like on, it's one of the it, it could almost be classified as a gaffe because it's like mm-hmm. it's, it's when somebody is just honest mm-hmm. <laughs> and said that, yeah, the Supreme Court thing is just a, a loser. I mean, it's a political loser. Todd uh, Ruger, our colleague, was was talking about this in the previous uh, half hour that um, no matter what she does, she's going to piss off like half the electorate. Right. <laughs> that, and she said she, she needs.
5: basically said that she said yeah. that she is hearing from Missourians, like half the people wanted to vote against right. Kavanaugh, half the people wanted to vote for him. And she, she said, no matter how I vote, people in Missouri, some people in Missouri right. are going to be angry with me. So it's it's a tough political tightrope, I guess, for her to walk.
2: It's it's interesting, McCaskill. And we're going to wrap up uh, in a second here, but like you know, you know, she's from uh, Cape Girardeau, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that area. Um, she's, uh, and, but you know, she has to run hard and and rack up votes in in St. Louis and its suburbs, and Kansas City and its suburbs because the rest of the state, it's kind of like Pennsylvania mm-hmm. dynamics. I mean, you have to, if Democrats want to win on a statewide level, they have to rack up the the suburban and, and urban vote mm-hmm. because they're just not running competitively in the middle part of the state, even if they're from those parts of the state. So it's an interesting dynamic.
5: For sure, and yeah. she's trying to appeal to both sides, to energized Democrats, but also she's traveled around the state mm-hmm. uh, and into rural communities talking about how she's going to fight for them. So will that resonate in right. places where the president is popular? We're going to have to see.
2: Yeah,
5: I'll, I'll try and find out.
2: <laughs> Excellent. Well, I look forward to, to reading the stories, Bridget. Oh, Bridget, good. thank you so much for, for swinging by. Uh, you can follow Bridget on Twitter at BridgetBHC, and you can uh, follow along her stories on Roll Call. Thanks so much. Thank you. This is The Bill Press Show. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. I'm Jason Dick. I'm the deputy editor for news at Roll Call. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Jason J. Dick. I'm joined in studio by Clyde McGrady, uh, one of our uh, CQ uh, Roll Call reporters. Clyde, welcome to The Bill Press Show. This is your premiere.
3: Yes, Uh, it is. This is my debut. Thank you for having me. It's nope. good to be here. I I
2: uh, I, I wanted to go uh, all southern all the time yes. with this last segment, uh, yes. even though I know that there could be a little bit of SEC football animosity. But we'll get to that in a minute. Go dogs, uh, Peter. <laughs> go dogs. Uh, for, for for those of you baffled and mystified by the South, Clyde is here to explain it all in ways that Peter may not be capable, being somebody from South Carolina. Right.
3: Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Well, there's a point of contention between Georgia and South. South Carolina. It's the Savannah Savannah River. Savannah River? (laughs) That's it. Um, Aside
1: from the fact that South Carolina... Absolutely, has better peaches than
3: Georgia. See, I knew, I knew, knew is, I knew this is. I knew that's, where, that's where this was going. You knew that was going to happen. We're the peach state, <laughs> right? But as they will remind you constantly, they actually export more peaches than it's we the,
2: do. It's the nuclear waste from the Savannah River site. Yeah, it, it, it like just makes <laughs> it just makes sweeter peaches. They, exactly. they glow.
3: They literally glow. You're glowing. Oh wait, it's, it's, that's nuclear waste. Yeah, but yes, I'm. Uh, I'm happy to be the. You know, the Southern correspondent. Um.
2: Senior Southern correspondent yeah, for my, the Bill Press
3: Show. Yeah. My type <laughs> is uh, it's half butter, <laughs> uh, half gravy. Half sweet tea. And <laughs> half sweet tea. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: So, uh, I, and, and I think that, uh, I mean, I did tip off Peter that, uh, that, that he would have a fellow Southerner, even a Georgian uh, yeah. uh, fellow Southerner joining us. And so what he did uh, was that he, uh, on, on his latest sojourn uh, back, back home, uh, Country Roads, uh, yeah. ac- actually it's like a, t- a Tony uh, high-end coastal town, yeah, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Charl- Charleston, South Carolina, <laughs> he brought back uh, peanuts and boiled them himself. Or I'm sorry, yeah. it's yeah. bold peanuts. Boiled peanuts. Boiled peanut. uh, peanuts. Yeah. Yeah. So boiled peanuts, for those of you who are just like, what have I gotten myself into? They started the show with the tukka, and they're and oh, they ending yes. it with boiled peanuts. So boiled peanuts, like being an Arizonan, I did not know that uh, you could boil peanuts. Uh, and I'm using that just as a verb, not as a as a proper noun, a boiled peanuts. Uh, Burled peanuts. <laughs> yeah. uh, the first time that I had uh, boiled peanuts, I was visiting uh, my friend Sean Carswell. Sean, if you're out there uh, in uh, in LA, LA area, San Luis Obispo, that that kind of area, uh, he uh, he picked me up at the Orlando airport. He's a Cocoa Beach native, uh, and he, you know, picked me up at the Orlando airport. We were going to hang out over the weekend uh, in in Cocoa Beach. This is back in '99, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and we're driving i mean as soon as you get out of the the orlando airport you're basically in like the swamp yeah <laughs> like yeah. It, there's no there's not a lot of transition <laughs> like there is with some uh, airports you know where it's like the suburbs <laughs> or just maybe a cornfield here or there you know but but it was it was amazing it was just immediately i was you know it was it was in a i was in a faulkner novel and he's like and he's driving and he's like oh hold on a second and he just pulled over his truck uh, and and he's like, you've never had boiled peanuts before, have you? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you're right uh, in that. And he he, we bought uh, boiled peanuts, regular and and Cajun like soaked ones as oh. well. Uh, and then we also bought the same guy was was selling on the side of the road near some. You know, alligators or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he just—he was just selling mangoes too, like fresh mangoes. You know, w- which is like this, yeah, and it—it it was yeah, just like this.
3: boiled peanuts and mangoes—that's a combo. It, it was—it was this amazing <laughs> moment.
2: And We're just sitting there eating boiled peanuts and mangoes on the side of the road, uh, like in the middle of the swamp on our way to Cocoa Beach. What's you know? better than that? It, it really—it was one of these. I have these like transcendent moments with my friend Sean where he, mm-hmm. he just always knows the right place to just go get a taco and sit on the <laughs> sit on the on the side of the road and just like hang out and, and drink a beer that's you perfect know. well I
3: was introduced to bowl of peanuts at a very young age because uh, my dad would pick me up from preschool and every day there was a stand by the side of the road and you know he'd pick me up and I'd say oh, are we going to see the ball peanut man <laughs> and <laughs> Like clockwork. This every is day. this is life. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not trying yeah.
2: to. I'm not trying to fetishize the South. I mean, like, <laughs> it, it's a place just like any other place. Right. But this is one of the the real like charms. And like yeah. if if you haven't had ball pants, don't buy them in
3: the store. Get them from Peter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, come see me. Come, see, I got some. come come see
3: Peter or Clyde. Uh, yeah, for, for make sure the guy Megan is just dumping a whole box of salt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Into just a big boiling. That's, van. A, That's you can get them, get them
1: at a grocery store and you can get them at a gas station. They're perfectly fine. But, right. the, but the place to get boiled peanuts is on the side of the
3: road. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly.
2: And and actually, the, the even it, it even works when you're not driving a car because my uh, Fawn and I were uh, in in Charleston a couple of years ago and we rode our beaches to the bike, uh, our our, 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 beach, <laughs> our bikes to the. Beach, gotcha. but, yeah. What's 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 in this? <laughs> yeah. uh, and we were when we were coming back. I did that same Carswell thing uh-huh. uh, to fun. I was like, you've never had boiled peanuts, have you? Because <laughs> there's this guy, you know, like selling boiled peanuts out of a out of a cooler on the side of the road. So we just pulled the bikes over, got him, and. Like it was just the, again, one of those magic moments. It's the best. It's so the best. Speaking of magic moments, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Georgia politics. And one, okay. one of the reasons that I, I wanted, I'm, I've been sort of fascinated by Georgia and I wanted to talk to you about it, Clyde, is that, um, you know, Bridget and I were talking about Arizona politics and how it's not always this weird, like, clear cut thing that people in the Beltway get an idea mm-hmm. about. You know, they, they talk about polling and they talk about dynamics and demographics and so forth. Um, but but there's just there's a view of politics, especially when you're from a place and you kind of inhabit it and you follow politics that shows up in you pay attention and you you realize that things are going on when you know that you don't sort of see from afar. Right. You know, if, if you will. Um, my mom is politically active uh, uh-huh. in 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 Arizona and I get sort of the tidbit of from that comes from like knowing a precinct captain uh, in Glendale, Arizona. And your mom uh, is also uh, your uh, one of your uh, good sources on, say, the governor's race. Yeah, Georgia is this interesting place. It's always been the next big swing state, right? Yes. and it always seems to swing toward Republicans. Um, but this is a this is about as stark a contrast as as we've seen in terms of like the political coalitions. Uh, Stacey Abrams is the uh, state minority leader in the in the House. Mm-hmm. Form, uh, she, former, uh, former, for, sorry, uh, former state minority leader in the House. Um, and she, you know, would could be thought of, you think of as, as like the Obama coalition, right? Mm-hmm. She's she's a black woman. Um, she's you know cr- sort of bringing together like starting to stitch together the different you know parts of the Obama coalition: minorities, women, educated you know kids, and so forth. Uh, and she's taking on Brian Kemp, who is a is a Trump uh, ally. <laughs> I mean, he, he uh, like full total endorsement or full endorsement or whatever the you know however he calls it. Yeah. So was- there is this stark choice in georgia in a very pivotal year what's what's clyde's mom think about going on what's going on here
3: (laughs) what does my mom think oh yeah she is uh she's usually my bellwether for a quote unquote uh real america like we're from uh south georgia uh like the lee county sumter county america's georgia area so very rural and that's uh that's exactly the area that Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. wants to focus on. She is trying to um, turn out uh, African American uh, mm-hmm. voters in the deep rural southern part of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so
2: this is not just a energize everybody in Atlanta and try to cut your no, losses. No, no, that's in yeah, Lincoln. not the old <laughs> right.
3: yeah, yeah, not the old playbook. Right. Um, uh, some observers uh, think, okay, she's got a if she could just get about. 200,000 more, you mm-hmm. know, votes out of there, um,
2: but she, which is possible. But she's but, running hard there. Yeah, yeah. she I is mean, in,
3: invested uh, pretty heavily there. I think the DNC has invested pretty heavily there, so it's really about registering voters down there for uh-huh. her. Um, Kemp's uh, strategy. Uh, <laughs> He's scoffing. <laughs> Southern, yeah. Senior Southern correspondent Clyde McGrady is beginning to scoff I mean, uh, at, his, at, at the
2: uh, strategy. This is the running people up in a pickup or something, right? You know yeah, that?
3: so yeah. his primary, people know him mainly for his primary ads. There's one where he's on the porch pointing a shotgun at a prospective suitor for his daughter. There's a one oh where he God. says, I am the uh, politically incorrect conservative and he you know he talks about standing for the pledge which is a thing that governors uh enforce um he talks about rounding up illegals he mm-hmm. says i you know i have a truck that i can round up illegals and, and he looks in the camera he goes yep i just said that so his general strategy i'm it hasn't exactly taken form yet i know mm-hmm. both candidates met for the first time yesterday they had a chamber gathering, Mm -hmm. chamber commerce gathering in Macon. Mm -hmm. And that's who's who's would typically be an ally of Kemp. That should be a natural ally. But Casey Cagle, who lost in the primary runoff, Lieutenant Governor Casey Mm -hmm. Cagle, lost in the um in the primary uh runoff Mm -hmm. against Kemp. And he was kind of the Chambers guy, even though he did some stuff that upset them too, like Uh, The stuff with Delta, Mm -hmm. he kind of nicked them after they revoked the NRA uh, discount for Delta customers. Right. So he made them a little nervous, but they were comfortable enough. Uh, There was that tape of Casey Casey Cagle. Uh, His former primary, another primary opponent named Lee Tippins actually uh, recorded them in a meeting, sorry, in a meeting that was supposed to be mano a mano saying, Mm -hmm. oh, this race is just about who's got the biggest gun and who can be the craziest? And then he released it, which really damaged uh Casey Cagle mm-hmm. in the primary. So it was this kind of, okay, I'll do the wink-wink to the base mm-hmm. with the culture war stuff. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, I'm here for the business interests. So Abrams kind of sees an opening with that because Georgia business leaders are kind of skittish about mm-hmm. this culture war stuff. Right. You know, but I think it was, what, Jesus, who said, you know, you have me for a little while, but the culture wars will be with you always. So <laughs> and, and so to speak. And it, was so to s- it was a little different with
2: Aramaic, I think. But uh. Great political
3: philosopher. <laughs> right. I think he also said all politics is local. I can't remember... <laughs> Tip O'Neill just yeah. he
2: just ripped him off, yes. Yeah. So no, but this is this is interesting, you know, it be, because the I mean Georgia is for all intents and purposes it's, it's on its way to becoming like a mega state, you know, and in, in, mm-hmm. in like I mean they're you know it it is it just keeps growing. Business you know, is of, booming. Business is booming. Uh, Atlanta is is really like, you know the. Sorry, Peter. It's it's kind of the capital of the South. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is this yeah. is where Delta is. This is where Coca Cola is. I mean, like th- th- this is th- you know this one is one of the possible H
3: uh, two you know. locations for Amazon. Right. Uh,
2: I mean, yeah. Th- th- this Hollywood.
3: Could, I mean, the movie industry because those tax credits are coming there. So. Huge,
2: huge. I mean, all, and and television. We did a podcast yeah. on on a roll call yeah. for political theater talking about Atlanta about about the show Atlanta yeah. uh, and and how you know that is you know. It, for those of you who have not listened to that podcast, it basically <laughs> we we talked about how both Roseanne and this is before the uh, Valerie Jarrett uh, tweet eight sunk that show. Roseanne and Atlanta were giving voice to some of the same you know disaffection, uh, particularly among working class and and people who are striving to to be in the in the middle class. Uh, and even though they come from very opposite kind of uh, um, Ends, you know, like one's one set in Illinois and suburban Chicago, and it focuses around the white working class and in Atlanta. You're talking about like sort of these strivers in the in the hip hop community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's they they really gave voice, you know, to how frustrated and how how hard it is, you know, to to make a living in in parts of America. It's something. It's a message you don't see in in a lot of uh, sitcoms. It's hard right. to even classify them as sitcoms, really. Right. Um, so, I mean, th- this thing about like Georgia, about this push and pull. I mean, I've seen it a little bit in my own state mm-hmm. uh, in Arizona, where you have, I mean, just this booming metropolis of Phoenix that, that you know, really, you know, pushes the state on a lot of issues and is represented by Democrats. Uh, but it also is incorporating all these people who are moving there from everywhere else because they can't deal with humidity anymore. <laughs> uh, and then and then you got the rest of the state that's, that's sort of like, who are we? You know, like this is a... We have this identity, but we're we're sort of struggling with yeah,
3: it. Yeah, Georgia is very much uh, fighting with its identity. Um, you know, if I could put my home state on the therapist's couch here for a second, I mean, Atlanta's the the motto of Atlanta is "the city too busy to hate." I mean, <laughs> have you heard of a more defensive uh, city motto than that? It's like I know you. Maybe think that we're just comes hateful, along with being a Falcons fan, spiteful people. <laughs> But no, really, we we're too busy for that. So there, there's always been this, you know, like uh, bustling uh, industry there. Mm-hmm. We didn't even talk about the music scene in Atlanta, which no. has always been, you know, uh, one of the drivers of his economy. But um, yeah, so with, with Kemp, uh, who also, like Cagle, promised to, you know, put, uh, if a religious liberty, one of those religious liberties mm-hmm. uh, bills came across his desk. He said he would sign it. They right. both said they would sign it. But the business community think, kind of think, okay, kind of thinks Kegel is being a little insincere there. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, they're definitely, uh, they think Kemp is closer to believing mm-hmm. that stuff. And uh, one of them did uh, pass the Senate. I'm not sure exactly what happened, if it ever. Made it past that, but it was, you know, uh, Georgia, they wanted to say that uh, gay couples, people did not have to allow gay couples to adopt. And Mm -hmm. the reason was we want to protect the church from Mm -hmm. lawsuits if they do not want to um, allow gay couples to adopt. And the business community is very worried about that. They saw what happened in North Carolina with the bathroom bill.
2: They saw what happened in Indiana uh, yes. with the religious yeah. liberty bill that the vice president, the now vice president of the United States had to backtrack on because yeah. the NCAA was like, hey, maybe we don't need to do stuff in Indiana anymore, which is was huge because that's where the NCAA is
3: Yeah, is and I mean, housed. South Carolina, they had the whole thing with the flag, and the NCAA you know, boycotted them. So right. these are things that you know. I'm just talking to – Friends in the business community, they are very worried about, and it could be an opening for for Abrams. It it is
2: interesting too. You mentioned the music, uh, which we which we didn't get into in mm-hmm. in, in Atlanta. I mean, it, you could you could make an argument that Atlanta Atlanta is to to hip hop and rap what like Motown was. You know, to just so R and B. Uh, you know, like a oh yes, I'll make 50 that years argument. Ago. Yeah, uh, and and it it has in terms of its importance that you know in when in fifty in. Forty or fifty years, when the the queen or king of hip hop dies, uh-huh. it will be you know like it will be with this like there will likely have been somebody from Atlanta. You know it'll it'll be somebody who, um, is is means to Atlanta or, or has the sort of genesis in Atlanta that like somebody like Aretha Franklin had in in Motown. I mean, she was born in Memphis, but right. Like the, but the, you know, the identification with her in, in R and B music is comes from Detroit.
3: Yeah, who knows? You know, they'll you know, you might see a tour coming by, like. A bus full of tours. This is where Outcast recorded Equiminon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> this is where Migos was arrested. Uh, <laughs> like, this oh, yeah, is they where, have been arrested. <laughs> I was about to do that. Yes, they have. Uh, Actually, th-
2: yeah. this, is where, this is where future. is where future. first couple
3: leave? Got his first cup of syrup. <laughs>
1: yeah. Over here and over there and, and over there.
3: Allegedly. Do we have to say that? <laughs> uh, Sure. Yeah, let's yeah. say that. Yeah. Alleg- uh, <laughs> Um, Do we have to say it? <laughs> He's know. pretty open about it. I'm trying to protect you guys. Yeah, like,
2: you know. what's, yeah what's the future song where he just keeps saying Percocet. Percocet? Percocet. The song like, is Percocet. called yes. Face Off. Percocet and Strippers. Yeah. We also have right. this, yeah, he also has that one too. too. Yeah, maybe we don't have to use allegedly on, okay. <laughs> on that. <laughs> Um, But, you know, but this, I mean, and this this evolving, you know, sort of scene there. I mean, this puts it as I mean, this is before, again, Amazon may relocate there. I mean, Uh it could come here to Washington, too. But I mean, this is not a a sleepy southern place. Right. right. And it and it keeps on reaching out, too. And Mm -hmm. so it's fascinating that, like, for Abrams, I mean, she she probably knows that she's got a lot of. Atlanta lockdown, mm-hmm. uh, in, in 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 some of the suburbs too, and so the fact that 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 a Democrat is making that sort of outrage, a Democrat that's not named Jimmy Carter, you know, or, <laughs> or Zell Miller, right. uh, is 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 making those like inroads possibly. I mean, this is uh, you know, this is just like this is possibly the most significant governor's race, you mm-hmm. know, this midterm cycle. I mean, it's just, it's, it's it's amazing.
3: Yeah, she is very much taking those areas outside of Atlanta um, seriously. Um, and, in, you know, in a sign of that, there's been some, and there's been a, a bit of a dust up because Brian Kemp is the Secretary of State. And I think a consultant affiliated with him um, uh, introduced a proposal to shut down polling places in these rural counties that happen to be majority black
2: mm-hmm.
3: just the, coincidental coincidentally <laughs> the reasoning was uh okay they're not um ADA compliant mm-hmm. and it costs too much money because there's not even that many registered voters in mm-hmm. these counties and uh Abrams has raised um she's made it into an issue mm-hmm. saying these people are trying to disenfranchise you mm-hmm. and those are the counties that she is leaning on and she sees um, a potential political hay out of mm-hmm. you know getting her base excited about this like look they don't want you to vote now since then I think Kemp has realized that that's you know the not hot a hot b- stove bit of a hot stove so he is he has backed away from that but mm-hmm. that just shows you uh, they're contesting uh, every inch in this race so
2: Outside of, of that, and this, maybe this is where we make our transition to the, the real issue, which is SEC football. Uh, yes. Like we, we've talked a little bit about Alabama. Uh,
3: Roll Tide. <laughs> You're so, required to say that after you it's say It's true. It's true. I went Alabama. to the
1: University of Alabama. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't want to reveal that too early on because I didn't want you to hate me because I oh, know you're a Georgia wow. guy. Just a
3: sandwich, South Carolina, Alabama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, Look, it's I just... can say something good about Alabama. <laughs> Dreamland Barbecue Hell is yes! delicious. Hell yes, I will Glenn! say that. I will say that.
1: That's so true.
3: Yes, it's a d- Dreamland.
2: I mean, and they're are a chain now, right? I mean, like they're they're I think they're they're, two they're, or three they're like an Alabama them, chain. Right? I think there's three of them now, but right. you can, yeah.
1: they, they have a great mail order business. By the so, way, but they, but they're
2: oh. but they're in Tuscaloosa, but but there's yeah. also one in Birmingham. One in Birmingham for sure. I think a couple of Birmingham, I think actually. I've been to the one in Birmingham Okay, um, and I, can you guys just explain to me really quickly <laughs> like the white sauce thing like I, it's not bad I just like what I yeah, mean, th- this just seems kind of weird that it would be like a totally mayonnaise kind of base like thing it's purely I mean, an Alabama thing Yeah. Right,
1: so what What? So it's. (laughs) I I, I, I can actually tell you about this. So it started at Big Bob Gibson's Barbecue in Alabama, Uh and it's primarily used for barbecue chicken. Okay. Primarily used for barbecue chicken. However, I have used uh, Alabama white barbecue sauce on uh, pork products, too, and it's still pretty damn good.
2: Do, do you substitute that for milk uh, sometimes at the dinner table? <laughs> if you're going to California? You
0: know? <laughs> I'd, like, I'd
1: like my glass of white barbecue sauce, please. Put it right in your cereal, right in your corn flakes.
2: <laughs> exactly. <place. laughs> so the first time I saw it was at Dixie Bones uh, out in Prince William County. I'd, I'd gone to a, a Potomac Nationals game, and there's a there's a barbecue place out there uh, co- called uh, uh, Dixie Bones. I think they're still around. Uh, and that was the first time I saw a white sauce, and it it's just... I don't know. It's it's one of those it's one of those acquired tastes. I actually like. I mean, I'll eat pretty much anything, and, uh-huh. and it is good on on chicken because chicken is so dry to, mm-hmm. to begin with. But it is it, you gotta you gotta for picky eaters you gotta like really sell that. Right. <laughs> you gotta you gotta sell the white sauce. Um, so one of the things you know I we, we just got fair. got just a couple minutes here. We've talked about Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you, Who you, uh, <laughs> that's a Mike and, Jones and, and, reference and, and, uh, for. <laughs>
3: <laughs> any of your rap fans out there.
2: Um Doug Jones has found himself in in like what we thought would be like this pickle, you know, where, you know, he's been pressed on how he's going to vote on Brett Kavanaugh's <laughs> nomination. Uh, you know, he's a former US attorney, you know, he's he's the you know, the type of guy that the Democrats if they want if they want mm-hmm. to be competitive in the South, they have the you know, they like Doug Jones sort of fits the bill for them. I mean, he but he's not going to get to run against Roy Moore again, probably. Who knows? It's Alabama. Um but I mean they can do whatever they want uh, in in Republican primaries, but like, is is that? Do you think you're going to see? I mean, like, it, it's fascinating because you, you've got like Doug Jones in Alabama and you have got Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Right. Like, this is this the the future? I mean, are are we going to see white males just sort of go the way of the dodo in the Democratic Party as we've <laughs> been predicting, or is it or is it going to be like this healthy side by side relationship? You know, like
3: with like an Abrams and a Jones. Jay let tell you, white people aren't going anywhere, buddy.
2: <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> like that? That's not Everywhere. what uh, I've been hearing from all these rallies. There and, uh, these are so rallies.
3: many of you. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't, I don't think they're going to no. go the way of the dodo. I think, you think Jones? Like there are other Joneses out there. Yeah, perhaps. Well, I, one of my old, um, policy professors at uh, at the University of Georgia. Uh, he said the coalition you need usually to win it in, mm-hmm. in southern states for Democrats statewide elections, you need about uh, 30% black vote mm-hmm. and about 30% of the white vote. So that mm-hmm. is still, you know, uh, that's still Wait. an important block right there. Yep,
2: we got to leave it there. Clyde, okay. thank you so much for right. coming by. We'll see you this again. Is on is the-, the Bill yeah. Press Show.